If you hear me! This is Scott Steiner, Big Power Pump, coming to the UK in March with Inside the Ropes. I'm going to London, Manchester, Glasgow, and Belfast to meet all my freaks. So get your tickets now for the meet and greet. And the Q&A, you can ask me any question you want. If you dare, Big Papa Pump is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. Hello, and so, uh, I guess, here's your podcast. What I'm going to do is go back home and see what's left for me, whether it's on this podcast or off this podcast. I have to go and fix myself and take care of myself, and I have to find my smile because somewhere along the line I lost it. Oh, there it is. Today, we (laughs) analyse the WWF's attempts to reinvent Monday Night Raw as we take a look at the first two weeks of Raw is War. My name is Stuart Brooks, and I'm joined today by our very own final two. It's Paul Scrivens. Hello. And Adam Wikes. Hello. How are you both doing? Not too bad, thanks. Really rather good. What, why so good? Uh, I've been to the zoo again today. I just had a lovely day. In the last, let's say, 12 months, how many times have you been to the zoo? Probably about 20. Season ticket holder. So you've got your money's worth out of it, then? Oh, God, yes, it's, it works out like about three quid a pop. And what, what's your favourite animal? Snow leopard was brilliant. I was just talking about snow leopard's tail today to you, wasn't it? Yeah, he was. Massive. If you ever meet Kevin Owens, you'll have something instantly to talk about. He's a noted zoo enthusiast. Is he? Yeah. Excellent. Genuinely. Maybe oh, you could take him we? on your season ticket. <laughs> good uh, weekend, then. Yeah, that no, was really good, yeah. What about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not same much. old, same old. Not much. I've, I've been at work all weekend. I did have a nice weekend last weekend. I went to see two Southside shows in one day, so mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Never done that before, two wrestling shows in one day. I'm going to do it again next month. So what two shows are you going to see at many of them? In one day, we've got on the Friday an Evolve show, kind of quite quickly followed by the NXT show. Sounds good. Could go yeah, to see yeah. another show after if we wanted. There's tons, there's loads going on. I, I looked up a schedule of everything sort of wrestling related over that weekend the other day. There's... A plethora of things going on. Wow, wrestling related. I guess it's the it's the golden time to do it, isn't it? You know, if you put things on around WrestleMania, you're guaranteed to have literally tens of thousands of wrestling fans available. There's going to be people there. Yes, <laughs> it's all starting to feel a bit too real now, though. Like I booked our seats on the planes today, so you could go on and select where you wanted to sit. Where are you sitting? Well, it's like seat twenty F, but that doesn't really mean a lot to <laughs> anyone, does it? Is it a wing or? I, I don't know, but I've. Kind of tried to pick window seats, because I quite like window seats. I like looking out of the window as, as, as I'm on an aeroplane. Yeah. I love flying. Not done it for a while. About a year. But mm. I love flying. I hate it. You hate it? it. Well, I did tell you about the, the kind of false landing that I had when we went to Tenerife, didn't I? Uh, I'm sure. I, I think I said it on the show. But basically, we, we, we were coming down, and then we, we started going back up again because it was too windy. Bit right. freaky. Like, we got quite close to the ground. It's like, oh, we're going up again. That feels a bit wrong. Prior to that, were you okay with flying in general? Yeah. Maybe you just need to go on one more time and have a safe landing. It, it scarred me, yeah. Well, I had a safe landing on the way back. Well, there you go, that's fine. I was still, still scared. Adam, how do you feel about flying? I'm relatively indifferent to it. It's quite boring, really. Oh, I like it. You just have time just all to yourself where you don't really have to do anything. It depends. Like, have you ever been sat next to, like, a fucking child or something on a plane? 
it's the worst experience in the world because you can't get away and they don't shut up and they eat chocolate all the time. It's a bit like sitting next to Paul on a plane, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. So it, it really is dependent on who you're sitting next to, I think. Are you going to sit like next it. to each other? Yes, I've booked us like little seats. There's there's myself and Adam and our friend Dan who are flying out together. You've booked little seats? Well, li- you know, next to each other. Little oh, okay. row of seats next to each other. I-, I thought you meant like child seats. Not like miniature seats, yeah. no. If anyone has any good suggestions for things to do on planes, feel free to let us know. I'm kind of going with podcasts, Kindle books to read. And, when you say podcast, yeah. you don't mean record one. No, I'm not going to record okay. one on the plane. That'd be difficult with you not there. You two could just do like a, a plane special. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm going to take my PSP because I've got Command and Conquer Retaliation on that. That should probably sort me out for a good few hours. Splendid. What are you doing on Thursday, March the 10th at about 10pm at night? Probably going to go to bed, I don't know. Might be in a band practice, maybe? Well, scrap that, because at 5pm Eastern Standard Time, which is 10pm UK time, we're going to be doing an AMA on Reddit for the r slash squared circle subreddit. I gather I've had to explain what Reddit is to kind of both of you, but yeah. it, it, it's a big thing these days. It'd be quite cool. People can come along and ask us anything they want to ask us, and we'll, we'll type them a nice reply. In okay. that case, I won't be in a band practice. Then you'll get out of bed. <laughs> Call me. We all agreed that the Miss NWO segment staged by WCW at Sold Out were probably the worst in televised wrestling history. Surely? Yep. Our challenge this week to you, the audience, was to come up with a worse contest for a wrestling promotion to stage on pay-per-view. The following are our favourite suggestions. David Green. Okay, got it. WWE have never done this one. Win a date with a lady wrestler. Send in your video clips of reasons why you would be the perfect guy for a particular diva and get the chance to be in the final three on pay-per-view. The twist being that only two of the final three are legitimate entrants and the other is a debuting wrestler and the whole thing was a way to debut said grappler. See? Never been done in WWE. Wait, TNA did it? Seriously? Really? Seriously? If they did, I missed it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sounds like something they'd do. Andy Webster. The Arts Donovan, how much does this guy weigh game? Contestants will be asked to guess the weight of past and present wrestling superstars to win a title shot at WrestleMania. But unfortunately for them, it's against Roman Reigns, and we all know how that'll end. I must say, there was quite a lot of venom aimed at Roman Reigns in a lot of these suggestions <laughs> this week. Probably there was definitely a pattern. Probably people fresh from being pissed off that he's main event in WrestleMania. I'd probably not let him main event in WrestleMania. I, it's going to leave it with a sour taste at the end, no matter what happens, I'm pretty sure. Do you not think that's going to be quite fun to be a part of? I'd, I'd, I'd rather leave happy. Nick Henderson, the Roman Reigns appreciation segment, where Vince brings Roman out to the stage and then refuses to continue the show until every single member of the audience has something complimentary <laughs> about Roman. The audience member with the most sincere compliment gets to kiss Vince for some reason. <laughs> See what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd compliment him on his lovely wet hair that's a bit like Bret Hart's, but not quite as good. <laughs> what a lovely compliment. I'd compliment him for being a grain inspector. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Howard. With a new attitude coming to the WWF, Vince wants to ease people in. To do this, he asks his creative team to make a beauty contest. At first, it seems to be another Miss NWO contest when Vince stops them. I don't want these old women. I want women with muscle, says Vince. 
So, it is decided that WBF is coming again. The Women's Bodybuilding Federation, starring China, using an oriental gimmick, Nicole Bass, using a fisherman's gimmick, but most importantly, <laughs> Gary Strider making his return with a wig. Wow. The impending show and segments are an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> Good use of the word unmitigated. Good use of the word fisherman. Yes. <laughs> James Martin, I love this is genius in so many ways. James Martin, WWE wrestlers, cook recipes from the official WWE cookbook and compete for the title King of the Gas Ring. <laughs> I, I like that because it's James Martin doing a cooking-based thing. That, that is good. That is makes it like ten times better. And, of course, it's retiring from Saturday Kitchen. Also, I do actually have the <laughs> WWF cookbook. My dad bought it me for Christmas mm. this year. It is it's genius. Maybe we should do that as an audience suggestion. Recipes for the WWF cookbook. Yeah. R- R- Rikishi, for example, cooks rump roast because of his rump. Ah, oh, I see. Chris Hopkins... How about a Duncan Dares Steph McGovern special? (laughs) Steph appears at random wrestling venues, try not to stand head and shoulders above the people she's interviewing, (laughs) and remembers to laugh at Bill Turnbull's puns. Naga sits in the studio, glaring jealously at her all evening. (laughs) She's not actually that tall. She's giant. I say, when you see pictures of the of the hosts of Breakfast News, Sally Nugent is taller than Steph McGovern. You, you know, Steph's on her knees in those pictures. Yeah. <laughs> also, on on on, I guess a relevant note there is Bill Turnbull's last day yes, on Friday. Yes. He's retired to keep bees. Yeah, it's so good. What we didn't realise as well was that he he lives in the village where we stayed a couple of years ago in yeah. in the Peak District. Okay. Mm. People who live in America must be really confused by the BBC Breakfast News <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> Nick Henderson, the He Likes to Have Fun segment, where every single wrestler that has ever been described as Likes to Have Fun by Michael Cole comes down to the ring and has fun. This continues until the very concept of having fun becomes anathema to the wrestlers, whereupon they collapse into lifeless comas amid idiotic commentary and relentless shilling of the WWE app. Stupid. Stupid. Fans are invited to scramble together some enticing post-WrestleMania angles and work around the WWE's burgeoning injury problems. It's Scrap Heap Challenge. <laughs> so I used to really like it. It used to have Crichton from Red Dwarf in it. I caught an episode of Scrap Heap Challenge a couple of weeks ago. It was amazing. Did it then have Philippa Forrester in it? Lisa Rogers. Oh, Lisa Rogers, yes. Yeah. yeah. Dave, a mentor... Jerry Lawler and Mike Adamley watch a classic Dean Malenko-Eddie Guerrero match where each man gets a point for correctly identifying a move. First to three wins. I'm getting good reports of Jerry Lawler's commentary on SmackDown. I've not watched it yet, but apparently he's gone back to doing a sort of heel character on SmackDown. Really? Apparently doing quite well. Oh, thank God for that, because I've mentioned it loads of times, haven't I, that Jerry Lawler, watching him in this era, is really great, and then when you hear the modern era on Raw, it's so upsetting to hear what he's kind of become. So if he's yeah, if he's back to doing that sort of stuff on SmackDown, maybe I'll start watching SmackDown. <laughs> Alistair Harding. A simple one this time. The Miss Norwich World Order contest. The first contestant is Luna Vachon. She's a shop assistant for Saxon Shoes, and she tells me the most popular shoes are plain black lace-ups with six eyes. That is brilliant. Our second contestant is Sunny. Sunny used to dance in a nightclub, but it was closed down after a fire. 
Contestant number three is 21-year-old Nikki Bella. Nikki is a nanny for a professional couple whom she tells me makes adverts and live in a converted barn. Sometimes she has the house to herself and likes to use the CD system to dance around to pop music. She's the shortest of tonight's contestants. <laughs> Contestant number four is Maria Canellis. Maria is an Irish Roman Catholic. She says that before each beauty contest, she says a quick prayer. She has a 36-inch bust. Ave Maria. <laughs> and our final contestant tonight is Sable. Sable works in William Hill Bookmakers, so what are her odds tonight? I'll tell you, they're 50 to 1. She's a rank outsider. <laughs> now, that is for the hardcore Alan Partridge fans. Yeah, and what is that from? That's from um, just the TV Know Me Knowing You show. I think it's been episode so four. many years yeah. since I've seen that. Brilliant. Yeah, that, that was particularly well written. I, I did my best to enunciate yeah. in a Partridge-esque way. Ave Maria. <laughs> Dane Wojcik. Scott Steiner and Ahmed Johnson debate climate change. <laughs> <laughs> that I would watch a three-hour pay-per-view yeah, well, of. Yeah. I wonder who would take what stance on it. Lee DG, Miss NXT, where all the women of NXT are judged by match quality, overness, in-ring technique, promo skills, ring psychology and character. After a long competition of 17 segments that requires cutting a Shinsuke Nakamura versus Finn Balor match from the card, Eva Marie wins because reasons. <laughs> yes. James Couture. A Do They Still Work Here contest featuring Zack Ryder, Brad Maddox, one of the Los Matadors, Trent Beretta, Damien Sandow and Ezekiel Jackson. If Vince McMahon can correctly guess whether or not you're still employed <laughs> by the WWE, you'll be rewarded with a genuine Raw match the following night where you'll lose in a squash to Sheamus. Hmm. Is it really kind of a thing that he doesn't know who works for him? Good question, Shelton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, question answered. Thank you. Matteo Del Anno Chimedo. <laughs> I'll be honest, I just gave you that one to see what you'd come up with for the name. Nailed it. The, the Help Vader Gets Dressed Challenge. <laughs> Contestants have one minute to try and address a naked and angry Vader. <laughs> <laughs> whilst, he fling, whilst he swings his arm in a clobbering fashion and Jim Cornette angling for breaks at efforts in a bid to add to the trauma they receive. Extra points if you manage to put his singlet on the right way round and avoid poking either of his eyes out in the process. That is one of the best images that's ever been come up with by these suggestions. Naked and angry. <laughs> and clobbering. Yes, very good. Daniel Gibson. Whose puppies are they anyway? <laughs> Hosted by Jerry Lawler. Probably watch that. First contestant, Adam Wikes. <laughs> Sam Hayden. Okay, here's what could be worse. The New Day spend an entire show bringing a series of delicious plates of food to the entire Wyatt family. First comes a starter of cream of mushroom soup. Later on, they are each given a large bowl of tagliatelle carbonara. Finally, they are given a large trifle, and this turns out to be Eric Rowan's favourite dessert, and he gleefully devours three bowls of trifle. The punchline comes when the New Day run away with all of the napkins, leaving all of the Wyatt family sat there with messy beards. There is no payoff match, and no puns are made of any kind about being the eater of worlds. This all happens during a pay-per-view, and the total running time for all combined segments is about 20 minutes. 
The pay-per-view runs for three hours, meaning that any network subscribers literally just paid £1.11 to watch the Wyatt family eat dinner. (laughs) But all is not lost, because if you bought this pay-per-view via traditional means, that means the whole meal would have cost you £5, thus emphasising that the WWE Network gives you nutritional value for money, and you should all be grateful. Now please applaud Roman Reigns and his lovely hair. (laughs) Another Roman Reigns one. Told you, anger towards Roman Reigns. David Green. How about a competition where Vince McMahon gives away $1 million throughout the pay-per-view? Vince calls up potential winners, giving away differing sums of the said million, trying to disguise the fact that the product is still piss poor and just a major attempt at grabbing ratings. Oh, that's been done too. <laughs> wow, this is tricky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do, do you remember Mr. McMahon's million-dollar mania? Very do, loosely. Yeah. What year was that? 2007, 2009, somewhere around then. Dominic Butcher. Human animal wedding contest. (laughs) Let's see where this goes. Knowing that weddings are always ratings winners, the WWE gets the audience to decide by listening to their live reactions on who's having the most fucked up wedding. (laughs) WWE gets a drunk Jake the Snake to marry Lucifer. (laughs) The British Bulldogs get hitched with Matilda... And Terry Funk has an emotional wedding with his dying horse. <laughs> well, that's weird. Mm, that is weird. <laughs> Do you want to go to that Terry Funk barbecue thing before WrestleMania? Can we eat steak with Terry Funk? I guess. Weird. Um, maybe? Yeah. Do you want to come? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't want pictures. <laughs> James Aaron Fretz. The Born in the USA Challenge. He knows how to get read out. (laughs) Where American slash Canadian wrestlers with foreign gimmicks must sing Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA while attached to a lie detector. Losing results either in deportation to said country or jobbing out to American patriot gimmick wrestlers. Harry Green, the 1995 King of the Ring. (laughs) (laughs) That is a terrible set of segments throughout a pay-per-view, yes. Simple but effective. Ryan Werner ate about ten cats, <laughs> where audience members are polled as to what Vader and Paul Bearer eat when they're over for dinner at Mankind's place. <laughs> <laughs> Two panels composed of wrestlers who mostly hang out in catering guess the answers with the highest percentage. The winning panel will be squashed on superstars by Mankind and Vader. <laughs> the, the losing panel will be squashed literally by Mankind and Vader. <laughs> Very nice. Richard Query. Oh, I didn't send us anything this week. Yeah, yeah that, that, there was nothing there. Maybe he's on holiday. Yeah. Still fancy just saying his name. I know I say this every time, but another set of fantastic suggestions. And lots of new names in there as well, which, yes. which is always nice to see. Some, mm, some uh, new people put suggestions in. Beginning with Royal Rumble Raw on February the 2nd, 1997, Monday Night Raw permanently expanded from one hour to two hours, with the impetus for doing this coming more from the USA Network than the WWF itself. Their reason? They needed to fill time. They could sell more adverts? Well, it's the new adventures of Robin Hood, of course. Oh, of course. With both Raw and Nitro starting at 8pm each week, Raw would be over by 9pm, providing Nitro with a second-hour audience keen to watch more wrestling, who may well then choose to stick around and watch Robin Hood on TNT, rather than switching back to the USA Network to watch their big new series, La Femme Nikita. 
With February being a big month in US television for determining stations' advertising rates, USA looked to the WWF to expand Monday Night Raw to two hours to keep viewers on their channel to boost ratings for the heavily hyped Nikita. Their initial idea, with Royal Rumble Raw, was to simply screen an edited-down version of the 1997 Royal Rumble pay-per-view, including the entire Rumble match itself. That would be, until pay-per-view companies' request and viewers' choice piped up, more than likely reminding the USA Network and the WWF of their exclusivity deals with regards to the footage, causing another solution to be needed. Instead, the WWF would air a taping of their January the 31st Toronto Skydome house show with Royal Rumble footage amounting to little more than three 30-second clips interspersed throughout the show. Feeling nothing like a usual episode of Raw, Royal Rumble Raw was poorly lit, poorly mic'd and generally a pretty dead show, losing to Nitro in the weekly ratings battle posting a 2.6 to WCW's 3.0. Despite this, on February 10th, USA and the WWF would both confirm that Raw would switch from the one taping provides a month's worth of shows format to a weekly live one, with their initial experiment, despite its quality, providing what the network had wanted. La Femme Nikita beat the new adventures of Robin Hood in the ratings. Hmm. Wow, maybe it's a better show. Happy with the results, the USA Network were also happy to pick up the additional costs of recording live weekly, believed to be in the range of $100,000 per week. Wow. Wow. With the following week's Raw airing later in the week as Thursday Raw Thursday, the next head-to-head battle with Nitro would come on February the 18th, the night after In Your House Final Four, featuring the heavily hyped WWF title shot of Psycho Sid against new champion Bret the Hitman Hart. The WWF would attempt to open the broadcast with the bout, but Stone Cold Steve Austin would have other ideas, attacking both the Hitman and Sid, causing the match to be delayed. A second attempt at staging the match would occur at the top of the second hour, with Austin this time attacking Hart backstage before he could make it to the ring. Later in the show, WWF President Gorilla Monsoon would insist that the match would occur, despite Austin's efforts to prevent it. Third time would prove lucky for the contest, as this time around it would actually get going. Austin, however, would still make his presence felt, tapping Hart round the head with a chair while the hitman had Sid in a sharpshooter. One powerbomb later and we would have a new WWF champion, with Sid immediately confronted by the man named number one contender to the strap at WrestleMania 13, The Undertaker. Hmm. Despite the show-long storyline, Raw would still lose out in that week's ratings battle to Nitro with a 2.45 rating to WCW's 2.9. You saw Steve Austin continually to try and prevent that match happening. Yes, Good effort, Austin. He, he was a reet dickhead, isn't it? It does sound like quite a good idea for a theme for a show, to be fair. Perhaps one of the biggest issues with Raw moving to two hours, and something I'm sure we'll discuss throughout this week's episode, is the lack of talent depth throughout the WWF roster. This situation will be somewhat exacerbated on the February 24th show, scheduled to emanate from the programme's birthplace, the Manhattan Centre in New York City, with half of the WWF roster overseas for the promotion's tour of Germany. Unable to fill house show cards that weekend without the use of Brackus, Barry Horowitz, Freddie Joe Floyd, T.L. Hopper and the Headbangers, each in separate singles matches, (laughs) what hope did the WWF have of producing two hours of compelling television on Monday? Their answer was ECW. Answering a challenge issued by Jerry Lawler on February the 18th, who had declared himself sick of fans bringing ECW signs to WWF shows and chanting for a place he deemed to be the home of those who couldn't make it in the WWF, ECW would show up in force on the Manhattan Centre Raw with Paul Heyman storming the ring alongside the Eliminators, hitting total elimination on an unsuspecting ring attendant. Three ECW matches would air throughout the show. 
Stevie Richards versus Little Guido, Taz versus Mikey Whiprick, and Tommy Dreamer versus Devon Dudley, each with Heyman on commentary as he and Lawler antagonised each other constantly. ECW's motivation for appearing on the show? The opportunity to promote their upcoming Barely Legal event, their first foray into the world of pay-per-view. With the WWF doing everything they could to make this show feel special, the February 24th Raw would also feature the WWF debut of Ken Shamrock and the return to the promotion of the Legion of Doom after a near five-year absence. Oh, and an arm wrestling contest between Sonny and Marlena, which for some reason would lead to a Savio Vega versus Goldust match. <laughs> I saw that. It was absolutely fantastic. The, the match or the arm wrestling? Well, the whole thing. It was just a bit bizarre, really. There was lots of showboating from Sonny. She did a good job. She was also wearing a pair of pants that barely concealed her bottom. And then was it they're having an arm wrestling match and she somehow produces a handful of powder from... So she's not got any pockets, so I don't know where it was, <laughs> and lobs it in Marlena's face, to which Goldust comes out, and then for no fucking reason, Savio Vega's there, and then they have a fight. It's, it, it, was, it was very good, very entertaining, and very bemusing at the same time. Again, Nitro would win the battle, pulling a 3.0 to Raw's 2.5. On March the 3rd, the WWF would air a taped version of Monday Night Raw from Berlin, Germany, recorded almost a week earlier on February 26th. Despite featuring the stellar Owen Hart versus Davy Boy Smith match that concluded the European title tournament held throughout the tour, we covered it on our we Owen did. Heart of Gold episode, mm. the show had a similar feel to Royal Rumble Raw. Poorly lit, poorly mic'd, poorly shot, and in one word, flat. The broadcast would also tank in the ratings, garnering a 1.9 to Nitro's 3.4. It was time to do something different, and beginning on March 10th, 1997, Monday Night Raw would be rebranded as Raw Is War, with Vince McMahon and the WWF looking to relaunch the show to compete in the ratings with WCW's runaway juggernaut, Monday Nitro. Mm -hmm. Interesting times. Exciting times. Isn't it kind of weird to think that the very reason for Raw going two hours was La Femme Nikita? Yes. Yeah. What, so what's the, what was the bloody reason for making it three hours then? advertising rates I, I, I think is it I, I think even in that instance I think it was the USA Network actually wanted them to do it really have they not watched Raw <laughs> presumably not it's rapidly declining in quality let's make it three hours I mean I haven't sat and watched one of the three hour Raws in a while but the, the kind of the reports you read is that it is okay up until about two hours and then tanks yeah so shouldn't it be building up towards a, a big last hour probably but it, it, it obviously isn't. It's, it's not like they've not got the talent at the place, but they've not got enough elevated talent to make three hours seem special enough, I guess. It's, it's also a lot of time. You've got to be really committed to three hours, I guess, in most people's modern lives is quite a chunk of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's one of my points. I can't be asked to sit down and watch three, like essentially a pay-per-view. Well, every like, week in terms of time. Well, it seems like everything else gets more and more condensed, doesn't it? It's like, I need this and I need it now, and it needs to be short, it needs to be snappy, and it needs to fit in my life. And wrestling seems to have done the opposite. Yeah. Well, WWE seems to have done the opposite, apart from NXT. There's that Raw, that Sky One show, that is an edited one-hour version of it. And occasionally, if the TiVo box records that, I will watch that, because I know that it's only an hour... And I know that, you know, it's going to have 20 minutes of advertising to act. It's 40 minutes of my time. And it would generally give me the important things about what are happening. The gist. Yeah. But I, I just can't be doing with a three-hour version of it. But even tying into this, and again, we'll get into it a bit later. If you're going to expand your programme 
to an, another hour or another two hours or whatever, then you probably need to have the talent available to fill that time effectively. Mm, yeah. One hour roars for me, if they were ever bad, they were over in 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Whereas now, if they're bad, it's going to take an hour and a half to get through. And the, the one hour ones, I always thought were very good. I thought it was quite enjoyable to watch. Things moved at a pace. It was never overloaded. And and it was just, yeah, it was quite a nice, accessible time. Well, you actually sat down and watched that Raw 194 that I recommended to yeah. everybody last episode. And, uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Really, really good, entertaining television for like 45 minutes. I think it's quite interesting because, to some extent, there'll be stuff that you can do on the two-hour shows that you just can't, you know, particular types of shows and particular things that you wouldn't necessarily want to have to squeeze into the constraints of an hour. But I think those circumstances are probably few and far between. There's got to be a much higher level of work that goes into a significantly expanded programme. You you can't sacrifice the quality, or at least you shouldn't. Because you shouldn't. You, you end up with a diluted product that people don't want to watch. But I guess the motivation here for the WWF is kind of twofold. Number one, like you say, the USA Network is picking up the cost of doing this. So, yeah, so it's not costing them anymore. It, it doesn't make any odds to them. And, yeah, it gives them a chance to sort of rebrand. And the one-hour show isn't kind of cutting it in the ratings, obviously, next to Nitro. So they do kind of need to try something different. So especially if someone else is going to pick up the cost, well, let's do it. Let's see what happens. There's better reasons for it, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, if you... There is a competition out there that's doing a two-hour show that is doing very well. So you've got to move with the time. Someone else has set the precedence and they've got to follow it along. But similarly, even if you kind of had no competition, I mean, you know, not in terms of just expanding your television show by, by an hour, but in terms of everything, in terms of expanding your touring or the amount of live shows you do, if you have a, a loaded roster and you're drawing everywhere you go, well then, yes, you would expand. But we're talking about a time where that's not necessarily the case. You know, talking about that that house show the weekend of the... February 24th Raw, where, okay, most of your big stars are in Germany, but, yeah, your house show is headlined by The Undertaker versus Farouk in a cage match. And all these guys who aren't even really on television that much in singles matches. Yeah, like T.L. Hopper, did you say? T.L. Hopper, Freddie Joe Floyd, who, incidentally, I've been watching plenty of in Smoky Mountain and are excellent. Yes, yeah. Mm. But they've not been used in that way and they've not been built in that way in, in the WWF at this time, yeah, have they? Yeah. So, so if you sort of turned up to see a WWF show and you kind of went through about six or seven matches before you got any kind of stars, well, you'd be gutted. Mm, you feel yeah. like you completely wasted your money. Yeah, people wouldn't be happy about that. Monday, the 10th of March, 1997, and we are live from the Centrum in Worcester, Massachusetts for Raw is War. We open with people running into some sort of warehouse as sirens go off and metal music plays. This is definitely a bit different from the previous opening. It's definitely a bit nitro. 
Ahmed Johnson, Angry Dogs, Steve Austin, Fire. Oh, I've got to say, oh, I thought this looked as cool as hell. Yeah, it's a good opening. I thought you'd like this because it was a battle royal in a ring with ropes that are on fire. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just, I think, I honestly think that just, just the image just looked cool though, didn't it? Yeah. That looked yeah. exciting. I've got to say, it looks exciting. Like, it's all kind of very quick cuts, very flashy. Yeah, it's lost any of the kind of kiddie, family-friendly sort of graphics and music. This is, yeah, angry and more adult. Although I'm all right in thinking that one of the images that they use is from after. Ha-ha! See, my next question was going to be, you can tell that this wasn't actually the original version of the opening, as the clip contains Steve Austin and the sharpshooter from WrestleMania 13, which, yes, won't happen for another 13 days. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen that match, I've just seen that Image. Clip, yeah. yeah. Obviously, the versions we're watching are on the WWE Network, and the original intro is pretty similar, apart from a couple of different clips, as well as containing Raw is War's original intro song. Any idea what that was? Raw is War. Raw is War. War. Huh. What is it good for? No, but that would have been awesome. Yeah. Kid Rock. The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson. Oh. Because that was very with it. Yeah. This theme began being used on the March 31st, 1997 show, so Manson only lasts a couple of weeks, presumably. They played it for those two weeks and Vince went, how much? (laughs) Switch to this one. Some sort of Adam Bomb-style nuke goes off as well, and we head into the arena where Vince McMahon screams welcoming us to the show as fiery pyro explodes. Lots of pyro, it's good, isn't it? It looks cool. I've got to say, I've got to say, this intro is doing the job for me. Yeah. It looks, it, we've now reached a point where Raw looks like I feel Raw should look. I feel this insane amount of pyro to open the show looks similar to any other Monday night well, wrestling show. They've copied Nitro entirely, but it looks better for it. I, I've got to say, though, I, I actually think that this is better than Nitro's. Uh, I think Nitro's, I don't know, it almost seems like fireworks for fireworks sake, but this actually... <laughs> that is a phrase I've never heard used. <laughs> but this is more purposeful it's got a kind of it's very focused well yeah there's an it sounds like weird to say about fireworks but there's an urgency to it (laughs) there's always an urgency to fireworks (laughs) i know what you mean but it it does the kind of like it fits with the like fits with the music and just comes in and it just feels like you're on the edge of the seat it's like yes fireworks (laughs) So yes, the Raw set now has the familiar stage Titantron setup that we're all used to. This is presumably what you remember Raw looking like when you first started kind of watching it again in the Attitude Era. Yeah, and it stays looking like this for quite a long time. See, this is interesting because I've, I've seen very few bits of Raw from the Attitude Era. Really? Yeah, no, no, because I, I didn't have anything to watch Raw on. So the bits of Raw that would have been like clips on Heat or oh, okay. bits that I've seen on future DVDs and stuff looking back at the Attitude Era. It certainly looks like a lot bigger show than Raw has done for most of its history. Yeah, it looks pr- pretty huge. Did, was, was there any sort of giveaway tickets in this, or is there no information about I, it? I've got no kind of information okay. on that. I mean, compare it to how 93 looked. It's insane, the, the chalk and cheese. Yeah, you look at some of the 94 Raws, and they're being filmed in like high school gyms. You can see like yeah. basketball hoops in the background and stuff. Yeah. And the fans are significantly more rabid and vocal. I think maybe they've poured alcohol into them, which is a good idea. Have you ever seen the nitros where they actually hold them at like spring break parties? No. No. Yeah, and they have the ring in the middle of like a pool 
there's seriously like a, there's like a walkway Has and there's the ring a, in the middle I can't work it out has that got a great atmosphere or a crap atmosphere yeah I was, was going to say that's either going to go really 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 well <laughs> or really really well, what, what, which is it it features Kevin Nash like dive bombing into a pool okay is that good <laughs> don't know it depends how you feel about Kevin Nash no, not great <laughs> Sid's theme hits to open the show, and the new WWF champion wanders down the aisle. Vince lets us know that Sid will be teaming up with The Undertaker later tonight. JR and Jerry Lawler are also at the announce table, with Lawler plugging his debate with Paul Heyman later in the show. JR heads into the ring to speak to Sid. JR asks Sid about being reluctant to team with Taker later tonight. They're sticking with the gimmick of Sid's theme playing throughout his promos. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Sid says he smells something fishy with Paul Bearer being around as they are facing Mankind and Vader and he thinks all three of them might be in cahoots with The Undertaker. Mm, fair S- enough. Sid says at WrestleMania he will beat The Undertaker, only he says it in a way more clunky way than that. Is it, does anyone else think that Sid looked really, really wet yeah. during this? Like he's, no- he's normally moist, but he's full-on soaking in this. He tells Taker to stay in the cemetery. Taker's music hits and the lights go out as the crowd pops. He strolls down to the ring, raising the lights for another pop. Taker tells Sid if he's scared to say he's scared. Taker says Sid's logic doesn't make any sense, which should come as no great surprise. Taker says he has to keep Sid safe tonight to protect his Mania title shot. Taker's hair looks very red tonight. Mm. Has he got red hair? Yeah, like red red, not ginger red. Yeah, he's dyed it red. The crowd pops for rest in peace, and before Sid can talk again, Paul Bearer screams yes and appears at the top of the ramp with Mankind and Vader. The trio walk down the ramp with Bearer saying they are both cowards and gets the new show name wrong. He calls it War is Raw. Mm. Mankind and Vader storm the ring and attack. Sid shoves Vader into The Undertaker, and once the heels bail, the babyfaces stare each other down as we go to commercial, as signified by a burning oil drum, which looks a lot like something out of Donkey Kong Country on the SNES. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems a little bit of like a slightly random graphic, that, if I'm honest. The burning oil drum? Yeah. Why? Is there any significance to it? Well, I presume there were some burning oil drums in that warehouse in the intro video. I like the fiery ropes better. Opening segment, then. S- Sid was enjoyable, as always. I thought Paul Bearer was quite good in it. Didn't make an awful lot of sense. It, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's, it, I think, to some extent, you've got some big names there, which is good. Yes. You've got a few. It sets things up for later. The problem is with it being, you, you know, live, and okay, you get this anyway with some of the promos, it's not brilliant in terms of delivery and making sense. Well, uh, Sid's talking. Well, yeah, it just... The superstars talking feels a little unpolished at times and something that they aren't... They haven't rehearsed it enough. Well, yeah, if you if you obviously think back to kind of one-hour roars, yes, okay, you would have live segments in Ring With Talking, but it would be more kind of, you remember stuff like the King's Court, the Heartbreak Hotel, like interview segments mm. where you would have, you know, a good talker sort of carrying someone else through a segment. But this is not necessarily brand new to Raw because it, I'm sure it's happened before, but this is very much a trope of Raw you'll be used to now, like... Raw opens with a talking segment where you talk about the main event. This is something that becomes a permanent fixture of kind of these two-hour shows. Mm. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you think back to the, the Attitude Era Raws, you've watched Adam and Eddie Bodden Raws now, you, you struggle to think of many that open with a match rather than yeah. someone talking about a main event or putting a main event together or uh, something like that. In in this capacity, I think that it, it works because you've got your big stars coming out 
your people are actually going to fight. And I think the problem that maybe they've they've had an awful lot along the years is when you have someone. It's you know the whichever evil, super rich, powerful person's in charge of the company comes out and talks and i think that kind of falls flat on its face it's just them talking about what they're going to do to other people like in terms of arranging matches and screwing them over Mm. i think it works better when you actually have the wrestlers come out and say something but it's got to be there's got to be purpose to it and it can either be very very good or it can be pretty terrible i think this one sort of falls halfway between I will say one of my least favourite things in wrestling and something that kind of always bugs me is when an authority figure or whomever books the main event at the opening of the show. Surely that says you're terrible at your job. Like, you should already have a main event, surely. Mm, Yeah. If these guys hadn't come out now, were you just going to have nothing? Yeah. Our opening bout is Rocky Maivia versus Tony Roy. Tony Roy? Is that who it was? give, Give us a background information check on him. I haven't got a fucking clue who Tony Roy is. Come on. <laughs> Back from break and the intercontinental champion, Rocky Maivia, heads to the ring. His opponent is Tony Roy. Big segment for your new show, guys. Well done. <laughs> Vince, for some reason, refers to Tony Roy as Tony Rua. Did you clock that? No, because I, well, no, I didn't know what the guy's name was. <laughs> How did you find out the guy's name? Howard Finkel announces it and also it says it on screen. I must have missed it. I was trying to write stuff down. Rocky's name. You're trying to write Rocky's name down. Yeah. Well, I wrote Rocky, and then I, I put Intercontinental Champion V, and I just put down question mark. <laughs> <laughs> the bell rings, but before anything can happen, the Iron Sheik starts ranting over the tannoy. I, I hadn't got a clue when I started. It, I was like, what is going yeah. on here? I'm, I'm with Scrivens on this. I thought, what's, what's that noise? And it took me a while to realise that it's the Iron Sheik having a good rant. In good news, Bob Backlund is with him, and he starts <laughs> shouting too, as apparently the Sultan is going to challenge Rocky Maivia for his newly won strap at WrestleMania. No, no one can wait for that. It's confusing, isn't it? It is confusing. This match has pretty much come from out of nowhere. The Sultan's barely been on TV in months. Superstars, maybe. Not really raw at all. If anything, though, I think there's something more confusing that happens later in this match. Okay. Roy attacks Rocky from behind as Backlund continues to scream. Rocky counters with a big clothesline, punches a slightly better Tornado DDT than he managed at Final Four. It's significantly better. But he's still not got it right. Followed by a crossbody from the top rope for the three count at 138. Hey, classic. Big 100 second or less match. Rocky's music hits and the Sultan storms the ring as Howard Finkel announces Rocky as the winner. Rocky drop kicks the Sultan to the outside and clocks both Sheik and Backland before leaving the ring. Gets a big pop for hitting Backland. I believe this is where the other confusing bit happens for me. As he backs up the ramp, Rocky spots former WWF tag team champion Tony Atlas in the crowd. Yes. Atlas joins Rocky <laughs> on the ramp and they have a hug and leave together. Yes. I like Tony Atlas. He, he, he does that great laugh. I, I had no idea who it was, but obviously they explain. But it's just like, what was he doing there? And why is he getting involved? If he's that important and a former champion, why is he in the crowd? Yeah. Did he have to buy a ticket? Yeah. <laughs> he also looks massive. Yeah, he's, he's more, more ripped than most people on their show. More matches, though, I thought, need Bob Backlund screaming all the way through them. <laughs> it gave this match more weight than it deserved because this is... Rocky's squashing someone that we don't know. They, they, they could have had somebody else, surely, instead of Tony Roy. Well... Where's Freddie Joe Floyd? Th- this is the question. So there's probably not much point in me saying with a lot of these matches, what did you make to this match then? Because... It's pointless. 
most of the matches on both of these broadcasts are, are incidental. I think yes. we'd agree on that. Yeah. I mean, like, I get that, that this is trying to serve a, a different purpose. I get that, but... You, you could have put somebody of a slightly... You don't need a, a star, but you could have should have put somebody of a slightly higher footing than Tony. <laughs> whatever his name is. Roy. Tony Roy. Rua. And, you know, had him be beaten in three minutes by Rock. Well, this is where we begin the conversation on roster depth. So they spend 1996 kind of creating these lesser stars. So as Adam mentioned, Freddie Joe Floyd... T.L. Hopper, The Goon, all these great, great gimmicks. Where, <laughs> So yeah, they're not going to go anywhere and they're pretty much not designed to go anywhere, but they would get the wins on the weekend shows and then you would put them on Raw and they would lose to the actual stars. And yeah, they perhaps would make these wins on the shows for guys like Rocky and Goldust and Sultan mean a little bit more if you're well, beating someone you've heard of. Yeah, they are known at least. It doesn't really matter what sort of capacity they're known, but they are known. While as Tony Roy, he, he doesn't even get an entrance. Well, he probably, he's just he's just an out of shape guy in the ring. Barry Horace is still in the books, right? Yeah, he's still knocking around. Put him in this match. And I actually struggled to remember the last time there was just genuine jobber matches on Raw, where one of the guys you'd never heard of, probably close to a year. Mm. And we've kind of gone back to that because we've gone to two hours. And I don't think that's necessarily the answer to what Nitro are doing on the other channel. Yeah, well, isn't it a case of we want to tell the story that the Sultan is going to challenge Rocky, but it's a wrestling show, so we need to have a wrestling match. So we'll just spoon someone in there that no one cares about, and then people will care about the story that we're trying to tell rather than the wrestling match. I mean, Bob Backlund screaming helps that, yes. Massively. But, yeah, it, it shows to the depth of the talent on the roster that yeah first match into your big rebrand and you're already bringing back squash matches that probably would have people tuning out and see if something more exciting was happening on nitro mm. yeah The WWF Slam of the Week, sponsored by Cool Borders, which I will say, Cool Borders 2 is a great game. No, never played the first one. Oh, because it looks all right. It's not my kind of game, but it uh, looks good. Only on PlayStation, by the way. Shows us Ahmed Johnson destroying poor Leaf Cassidy with a pile driver, a spine buster, and a Pearl River plunge. Vince refers to Ahmed as Ahmed Mr. Business Johnson. It just reminds me of Mr. Muscle, but for wrestling. Well, I just imagine him in a sort of IRS-type get-up. I take it it's not a name that sticks. Of, of everything that we've seen about Armored Johnson, I'm talking about ring work and mic work, would you say Mr. Business is the right way of describing him? Probably not. Mr. Lunatic. Mr. Sloppy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that gimmick wouldn't perhaps get as over. Or, or Mr. Hobo, as, as he is homeless. <laughs> Mr. Sloppy Armored Johnson. Up next is a six-man tag team match pitting Pierrot, Heavy Metal and Pentagon against Latin lover Hector Garza and Octagon. I was really looking forward to this. Right. Is Pentagon any relation to Pentagon Jr.? 
Good question, Adam. No, not at all. That's a shame. <laughs> but is that, is that why he is junior? Yes, that is indeed why he is a junior. So he's not recreating the old... Well, other, he's, other he's, he's, not, he's not being Pentagon, and people are saying, well, there's that one called Pentagon, they both wear masks, then... Well, interestingly enough, there are actually two versions of this Pentagon. This is the second guy who played the gimmick, and then, obviously, I think it's 2010, Pentagon Junior gets given the Pentagon Junior. Yeah, I mean, they, they had the regular Pentagon... And then there's the irregular pentacle. <laughs> I knew, I knew you, you you would love this. Also, also all over the section that was that was Pentagon against Octagon. Well, well, I'm just going to let you know this now that Pentagon was created as an evil opposite to Octagon. Excellent. W- would you feel that that's an appropriate way to frame this? Yes. <laughs> Also, it's a bit Sub-Zero and Scorpion in Mortal Kombat, isn't it? A little bit. They're the same character model, but with slightly different sort of tassels. <laughs> I'd, I'd also quite like to see uh, just different to what, different types of quadrilateral. Such as? Parallelogram. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great name for a luchador. Or oblong. <laughs> oblong. Also, you may not get this, but I, w- I would definitely like to see a triple threat match with Octagon, Pentagon... And great Sasuke, because you would not be able to tell any of the three of them apart. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Out first is the trio of Heavy Metal, Pentagon and Pierrot. Their opponents, and the babyface trio, in case anyone didn't know, are Hector Garza, Latin Lover and Octagon. Two matches and eight participants into this new WWF show, and we've only seen one regular contracted WWF performer. Hmm. Jerry Lawler on commentary tells us that there must be a lot of ugly people in Mexico, as they all seem to wear masks. Vince hypes the main event before this match even starts. Hector Garza and Heavy Metal start, exchanging arm drags, headlocks and pinfall attempts. Metal tags Pierroth and Garza brings in Latin Lover. They exchange chops as JR hypes Pierroth before Pierroth hits a clothesline. JR also tells us that Latin Lover and Hector Garza are regular tag partners in AAA, known collectively as the Sexy Boys. (laughs) I had a little chuckle when they said that. Sounds a bit like when Vince started cloning his singles performers for tag teams at the beginning of 96. Lawler has a moan about Vince and JR using wrestlers from other companies like AAA and ECW. As Lover makes a comeback with a crossbody and a superkick, including running round doubled over Pierroth to connect with the move, which is something I don't think I've ever seen I've before. I've got to say, I, I put a note about that that I, I marked out big time for that. It's nice. I quite like this. This is better than the last Mexican match we saw. It would not be hard. <laughs> well, I've got to say, no, it would not be hard. And although I said a little bit tongue-in-cheek um, earlier that I was looking forward to this match, I thought this match was actually pretty good. I mean, it's it's weird in, in the sense that it is very much just a collection of spots. Yeah. And there is no selling whatsoever and there's no story whatsoever. <laughs> but the spots are actually all right this time. Yeah. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? It's a more it? competently performed match. Yes. Pierroff tags Pentagon and Lover tags Octagon. Yes, they look essentially the same, with their only difference being that Octagon's belts are red and Pentagon's are white. Do you see how kind of Pentagon Junior's kind of look has evolved out of this very basic look? Yeah, it's like a a souped-up version of it. Mm. Octagon gets arm drags and a -a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker before Pentagon tags Metal back in and Octagon tags Gaza. At this point, I was kind of wondering, is each person only allowed to face one person from the opposing team? I've got to say, they do get some mild reaction this time as well. It's, they're not crowd up popping, but um... I, th- I think it's a case of it's, it starts off cold, but they they generally warm up to it as they do yeah. more big spots. Metal hits a springboard elbow, which pops the crowd before Gaza moonsaults off the top rope. Metal hits a spinning wheel kick to Gaza, and Metal falls to the outside, attempting to charge Gaza with a knee. 
we cut to the crowd where that bionic woman is watching. That China. woman, you say? In the ring, Octagon squares off with Pierrot before Latin lover faces Pentagon. That woman is escorted from her seat out of the arena against her will. Sign in the crowd before we go to break. Sonny, get naked. Really? Yep. I've got to say, we picked out at Final Four, there was that guy that just had his picture of Sonny. Yeah. I think there was another one. I don't think it was the same chap. I hope the guy that had the, you know, the Sonny get naked sign was really pleased this year when she finally did. Pro- probably not. <laughs> Back from commercial, we see a long shot of the crowd before a replay of that woman's ejection. In the ring, Metal works over Gaza before Latin Lover interrupts, and again we cut away. Now, yeah, at at this point, when we do get a match of a bit more length, it's very hard to focus on it when we just keep cutting away to other things that are happening, or you get picture in picture, or someone does a promo at the same time as the match is going on, and it's it kind of really breaks up the flow of the match and they constantly do this. It's, it's also, uh, to some extent, I think it's not very well thought out because you're struggling for content to fill your two hours, yet the content that you have done, you, you're trying to fit two streams of content alongside each yeah, other. That's a very good point. That is a very yeah. good point. This time, it's the highlights of that woman's appearances so far. Latin Lover hits a spine buster to peer off, which JR calls a powerbomb for some reason. Before we cut away again... By the way, I believe standing by, is it true? Standing by, ladies and there he is, Brian Pillman. Mr. Pillman, back in the World Wrestling Federation, are you ready for action? Well, Vince, it won't be long. And I can't think of a better vehicle to kick it off than Shotgun Saturday Night, which airs at 12 midnight. The witching hour, when all those sanctimonious censors are sound asleep, which means... I'm going to say what I want, do whatever I want, and if you don't like it, I don't give a damn, because I'm the ammunition for that shotgun, and you can bet I'll have my finger on that hair trigger. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to you returning to action. This time, it's to Brian Pillman, who will be returning as a commentator for Shotgun Saturday Night. He says he's going to do what he wants and say what he wants. Quite like that. We miss a series of dives, but catch Pentagon hitting an acai moonsault to the outside before Gaza hits his corkscrew plancher. Nice. That was that was absolutely brilliant. That's you know not a commonly move, commonly done move that I've seen. No, he did it in the Royal Rumble match, but yeah, it's, it's not something you see often. I think. Yeah. What well, wasn't it? The one good thing. In the it was Royal like Rumble the one match. good spot in that match. Yeah. I think Phoenix does it these days. It might be Phoenix. Yeah, he does stuff like that, doesn't he? Yeah, something similar anyway. In the ring, Latin Lover heads to the top rope to frog splash uh, nobody. That looked hilarious. That was the one thing. <laughs> but Heavy Metal isn't even laying down. He's right. actually just stood to the side watching. Do you think he actually realises mid-flight that there's no one there? Yeah, or he <laughs> either gets to the top rope and thinks, should I do something to him as he's standing? Nah, I'll just do what I was going to do anyway. <laughs> Someone should have told him that the traditional thing is to do the jumping nothing. The jumping nothing, yeah, yeah. Metal rolls Latin Lover up in a La Magistral cradle for the three count. Shame about the end. Yeah, the, the the end kind of buggered it. And it was kind of nowhere near as bad as that abortion at the Royal Rumble, but n- not great. Maybe, it, it, like Paul says, it depends on how you feel about just collections of spots. Well, the, the thing is, based on the, the first match, it's definitely a step up from that. Based on the Royal Rumble match, it's definitely a step up from that. I, I didn't mind it. I quite liked it. I was upset that it kept cutting away. 
and detracting from it because I think I, I could have been into this match a bit more. Plus, presumably, like we say, if you're struggling for people to fill your roster and you want to get some more people over, the way to probably make people not interested in them is to not pay attention to any of their mm. matches. Yeah, it does seem a bit counterproductive. They, they need to try and give them a bit more character. So presumably these guys are around for a little while at least. I don't think they're much longer oh, for much the longer. company, if I'm honest. But what they've had so far, like a month? A couple of months, yeah. A couple, couple of months, so... They, I think, perhaps could have done more to develop at least one out of the six guys, perhaps, and make something out of it. Up next is Ahmed Johnson versus Roy Raymond. Who? Following an advert for WrestleMania 13, Ahmed Johnson heads the ring to a big pop. His opponent, Roy Raymond. Have they run out of jobber names that don't include the name Roy? Yeah. Probably. Ahmed looks extra oiled as he enters the ring. I thought he looks like he's been covered in tar. He's really, really, really shiny. Raymond attacks from behind and actually suplexes Ahmed. But as we're only 10 seconds into the match, we obviously need some kind of distraction. So the Nation of Domination theme hits <laughs> and the group march out onto the stage. Well, it doesn't sell it at all, does he, in terms of the uh, suplex and then there's a botch move from the top rope somehow. Yeah, well, my next note says, what the fuck was that? But I can't remember what it was. Ahmed isn't happy and batters poor Roy, clumsily placing him over the top rope where Raymond falls to the outside. Yeah, not, not, not smooth. Ahmed follows and gives Roy a good kicking before rolling him back into the ring and hitting a scissor kick, spinebuster, a Pearl River plunge for the three count. I thought the spinebuster was nice. To be honest, I don't think his scissor kick's too bad. For a guy of his size, I think he does a pretty good job. He's got one buttock out again. <laughs> it's always just one. Is it usually the same one? I don't know. I, 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 I'll, I'll start making a note of it. The crowd pops for Ahmed's tough win as Farouk looks on from the stage. Farouk starts talking about Ahmed's challenge for a street fight at WrestleMania and starts using terms like Uncle Tom and Black Ass. I quite like this. I didn't really understand what he was saying. I, I really struggled to follow this yeah. promo, I'll be honest. And I just uh, Maybe this is why Ron Simmons just evolved into saying damn because that's what people can understand. He's not as bad as Armour Johnson, but when he gets going, it is hard to follow what he's saying. The crowd chants for Ahmed. Farouk says Ahmed is stupid and will show up alone at WrestleMania. Jar is in the ring to allow Ahmed to talk. He says something that ends with punk, but I didn't catch anything yeah, that came before complete it. complete gibberish. Ahmed says that since Farouk has a nation, he went out and found himself the two meanest, nastiest, baddest men he could find the legion of dooms theme hits and hawk and animal wander through the crowd to the ring nobody holds a sign calling them wank pheasants mind you <laughs> the lod pose in the ring before slapping hands with ahmed there's a formidable trio of no sellers in the ring there yeah. yeah i like the legion of doom they're good so yeah tell us memories of the legion of doom adam what year or what years were they around that i would have no, did they come of, in sort of like 90 or something Yeah, like 90 that? to 92 is their big WWF run. Yeah, so I remember that. And obviously, as a kid, I didn't think, wow, these guys are stiff. But they did look cooler than about everyone else. The kind of the, the spiked football gear looked really cool. Their hair looked really cool. The face paint, they just had a, an excellent look to them. So you instantly just kind of like them. I, I like this feud because you've got LOD and NOD. <laughs> the crowd chant for the LOD Hawk says that when they are through with the nation they will look like a pile of sweaty fly covered raw sweat socks 
Vince's response, I would imagine that's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> Animal does some shouting, which pops the crowd, and Fruit does a good job of having a face that says, I'm worried, but pretending not to be phased by this. Full, mm. full credit for him yeah, there, yeah. I thought. Ahmed says that the black boys are turning white up there and that everybody in the world is going to watch WrestleMania. The crowd chant, you're going down to end the segment. That's Ahmed's thing, isn't it? That yeah. you're going down. Or you go da. <laughs> I've got to say, the, the crowd liked chanting, though. Yeah, I thought the crowd were big into this. Yeah. yeah. Well, Legion of Doom have come back, and I imagine there's a lot of people in there that have very fond memories of their first run through it. Are you pleased to see them turn up at this point in the timeline? I, I think so. I think there's a place for them here, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the tag division's been pretty weak, so they are a big name to yeah. bring in for it. They, they need more talent, they need more recognised people, and bringing the Legion of Doom in, probably a good idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly surprised that they've perhaps brought them in so close to WrestleMania. Um, and just seems inserted them into this feud fairly late onto it. Yeah, but it gives Ahmed some pals to kind of be yeah. on his side, because I struggled to think who you would kind of stick on his side. Yeah, it, it is tricky. I almost wondered if it would just be everybody single-handedly. Possible. With yeah. his plank. With his plank. I do like his plank. I thought thought this was a interesting segment. Yeah. Uh, again, not really a match. There's a story to be told. Armour Johnson has the Legion of Doom, that's what we want to say. So the match is incidental, and it just, once he just clumsily botches a move, then runs through a few moves and beats him. It's not, it's not a match at all. The focus really is Armour Johnson's doing some talking, Farouk's doing some other talking. Make I mean, a guess about what they're saying. To, to be fair, you, I think more so in this one than perhaps the first, you didn't need to have the match at all. Yeah, the, the match was unnecessary. Yeah. Feasibly, you could have just had the first hour just be. Segment after segment after segment. Yes. But if and you, nobody if, would have really noticed. No, but if you did that, maybe it'd lose its tag of wrestling show. P- possibly. Speaking of tags, up next is Owen Hart and the British Bulldog versus the New Blackjacks. Right, I know who half the New Blackjacks is. Who's the other half? <laughs> Which half do you know who they are? Bradshaw. You've seen the other half before, quite recently. Isn't he the stalker or something? Oh, it's Barry Windham. I know, do really. Yeah, they did mention the name, that's right. They did call him Black Jack Windham, which may have given you (laughs) a clue as to who it was. Great moustache. Yeah, this is the thing. Are they fake moustaches or are they real (laughs) moustaches? Because that's the thing that I was mostly thinking about during this match. Like, seriously good moustaches. But they must have just had to go up to Barry Windham and be like, will you do us a favour, Barry? Will you dye your hair and moustache black? Yeah. Because he had a moustache as the stalker, didn't he? Yeah, not this special, though. <laughs> Maybe the colour helps. But like, I thought it was an interesting look. So so presumably there was a team called the Blackjacks before. Lanza and Mulligan. So I have heard that uh, Blackjack Lanza, I have heard that name. Yeah. Were they a big deal? In the 70s, yeah. And I think possibly Lanza was still working for them at this point as a, as a backstage agent. Okay. And obviously, Wyndham's related to Mulligan, so that that's where your tie obviously, comes from. It's yeah. a step in the right direction for Bradshaw, though, right? This is better than what he was doing before. It's kind of similar, I like, think, to I what he was, it was doing very before. Similar, yeah, mm. I, I, I very much felt this was a sideways step for him. I think it, is, is it not got any sort of like more higher profile at Possibly, all? Possibly, but before he had a manager and, and was and, beating up Savio Vega. I, th- I think his looks better as a blackjack. I think it works better than his, his get-up before. I quite, Hawk Bradshaw. I, I quite like that little jacket he had before. <laughs> Whereas I'm not quite so sure about the chaps. <laughs> what about his black moustache? Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Back from commercial and Davy Boy Smith and Owen Hart head to the ring with an actual crowd member holding up a sign for La Femme Nikita as Vince gets in a quick plug. 
That's weird. Why would you go to a show and take a sign for another show that wasn't even a wrestling show? Because you're from the USA Network. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're obviously going to go to WrestleMania and just to put, hold up a sign that says BBC Breakfast News, right? Yeah, we love Nagamanchetti. <laughs> uh, I'll take that sign. Not, not Ste- Steph McGovern is not massive. <laughs> <laughs> but have it on an unfeasibly big sign. I do love the people that take like a partridge sign every year. Yeah. Like the youth hosteling with Chris Eubank and stuff yeah. like that. That's brilliant. Has Monkey Tennis been on? I think Monkey Tennis has been on one of them. <laughs> JR runs up behind Owen and Bulldog to congratulate them on their European title match the previous week. See, because JR was at the commentary desk before, so he must have ran to the back, mm. realised Owen and Davey were already coming out and had to chase them down the aisle. <laughs> Excellent. Owen doesn't want to talk about it. Instead, he wants to talk about their match with the Blackjacks and tells JR to stop stirring up trouble. Highlights show us key moments from the European title match, including the finish. The new Blackjacks head to the ring as we breeze past a sunny four-playboy sign. What? Yeah, there's one of those in the crowd as well. Obviously, the the, the WWF hasn't started its affiliation with Playboy yet. No. When does it start doing that? Who's the first person to appear in it? It's China, isn't it? Or Sable? Is Sable first? I think Sable's first. Yeah. Oh, is is that when she does the handprints on the... No, it's 99, I think, she's first in Playboy. Uh, Why do I know that? What's the show when Snoop Dogg rides down to the ring on, like, a pimped-out golf-mobile with all the divas following him down? Is that not a WrestleMania? Yeah, I think it's Mania 24, isn't it? it? Or 25, one of the two. I I think that that really epitomises their relationship with Playboy, then. The Blackjacks get little reaction before the match, before grabbing a mic, with Wyndham saying that if this was a title match, they'd be the new champions. Bradshaw calls Owen a stinking Canadian tick, saying that he's been living off the British Bulldog oh, for tick. some time. Because I put Canadian tit, tit. question mark. I thought <laughs> yeah. that's what he called it. No, I absolutely thought that's what he called it, and I thought that is such a bizarre little put-down. <laughs> no, it was tick. It was definitely tick. Oh, okay. Bradshaw also tells the King of Hearts that he has some real purdy lips, boy. Yeah, now... I- I was confused by that. What, 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 why is he saying that? Is that not deliverance? Oh, right. So is he a kind of... Backwards rapist? Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Owen attacks Bradshaw as the match begins, as Davy pairs off with Wyndham. Owen and Bradshaw battle on the outside before Bulldog clotheslines Wyndham there, as Vince tells us that at WrestleMania, Owen and Davy will defend against Mankind and Vader. Finally, someone's mm. booked Paul's heels versus heels tag yeah. team title match at WrestleMania. Yay! The match resets with Bradshaw and Bulldog, with Bradshaw wailing away on Davey in the corner. Standing by now, ladies and gentlemen, we have the challengers. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we have a Vader, Mankind, yeah. and Paul Bear. And, uh, Vader, well, let's, thank you. Uh, let's talk to you about this, this matchup at WrestleMania. The tag team titles on the line. How do you think you're going to stack up? WrestleMania 13, March 23rd. Chicago, Illinois. Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, the so-called King of Hearts, must understand one thing. They're not good enough, they're not strong enough, and they damn sure ain't bad enough to take away the gold at WrestleMania. The pain game comes out because Vader fears no man, and he feels no pain. And my partner here, he loves pain. He loves to dish it out. He loves to give it. So on top of all that you see, on top of all that you heard, they must deal with the man. They must deal with mankind. 
and the pain game. Oh, yeah, because it will be time. It is time. WrestleMania 13, March 23rd. Later time, no doubt. Yes. Thank our you. destiny. Thank you very much. Don't cut him off, McMahon. We cut to an inset promo from Mankind, Vader, and Paul Bearer. Vader shouts for some time as Mankind looks off forlornly. When the promo finishes, Owen back body drops Wyndham before Wyndham tags Bradshaw, who instantly hits a big boot to Owen. I quite like Vader's promo there. Is this where he's talking about giving it out and dishing it out? Probably. Because Mrs. Scrivens was in the room while that was on, and she's just going... Was she giving it out? She's, <laughs> she's like, they're the same thing, that doesn't make any sense. So it's Vader. Are you going to tell Vader that? Is she going to tell Vader that? She probably would. I thought he was pretty good, but then Vince was a bit of a dick and just kind of cuts him off. Bradshaw throws Owen to the outside, where Wyndham attacks him as Vince once again plugs the main event and Jerry Lawler's debate with Paul Heyman. In the ring, Wyndham suplexes Owen and hits some punches before we go to break. When we return, Bulldog has one of the blackjacks in a sleeper hold, which he breaks with a jawbreaker before Wyndham comes in and leathers Davy Boy. Vince plugs next week's main event, Bret Hart challenging Sid for the WWF title inside a steel cage. Hmm. The Blackjacks hammer away on Davey with Owen trying to make the save but being restrained by referee Earl Hebner. Bradshaw hits a pump handle drop for a two before we get a promo from Taz. Standing by right now, ladies and gentlemen, from ECW, Paul E is... What? No, that's that's Taz. Hey, Vince, you want to hire a joke teller to sit next to and make wisecracks? That's your business. But I'll tell you what, my boss hires athletes, extreme athletes like me and Laura... I'm telling you right now, you make one more wisecrack about me. I'm going to give you the opportunity to say it to my face. Thank you very much. I'll tell you what, if he wants to come out here, I'll tell him how short he is right to his face. If I can bend down that far. Take it easy, King. Taz says that if Lawler makes one more joke about him, he'll give Lawler the chance to say it to his face. Lawler then says, I'll tell him how short he is to his face if I can bend down for that. Bulldog hits a clothesline to Wyndham as both Bulldog and Wyndham make tags. Owen gets the hot one, taking down Bradshaw and Wyndham with spinning wheel kicks and a missile drop kick from the top rope to Bradshaw. Wyndham breaks up the pin before Davy clotheslines him to the outside. Owen applies the sharpshooter and Bulldog once again clotheslines Wyndham in the chest a number of times, which he no-sells before breaking up the sharpshooter. The referee rings the bell and awards the match to the new Blackjacks for some reason, which JR and Vince don't understand. I think he pushes the ref, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Well, Lawler says it's because Davey didn't leave the ring quick enough. But yeah, that, that would seem a bit arbitrary as Wyndham was in the ring too. No, I, I, I think after the clothesline to whoever it was, the Bulldog pushes the ref. Okay, fair enough. I think that's what it's for. This match got a bit of time. Any thoughts on it? It, it was all right. Again, I, I couldn't get too invested in it because we cut away all the time. And really? I, I liked Vader's promo. I thought it was quite good, good and shouty. But it stops you paying attention to the match. It's disjointed. Yeah. We get an advert for the Slammy Awards sponsored by WWF Full Metal, the album. Excellent. I really want that album. I can probably put it together for It's just you because I've had it advertised to me about 20 times on these two shows. We return to ringside where Taz is being held back by Bill Alfonso from having a crack at Jerry Lawler. I've got to say, this is a little bit nonsensical because he should not be able to hold a rabid Taz back. <laughs> Lawler gets up to face him 
and Taz chokes the king before Sabu appears from nowhere, leaping to the outside from the ring, putting himself through a table when Lawler and Taz move. I, I loved that. I thought, I know, I, I did like that. I thought yeah. that was really good. Just got to run in, uh, dive through this table. Done. He had a chair as well, didn't he? So he set the chair up in the ring. Yeah, did a little, sit run, little, little dive. But it's good. It was good. Didn't it? I thought it was. <laughs> it was completely pointless. But it was, it, the thing was, it was unexpected, and I kind of liked that. Yes, it was definitely very unexpected. It, it was off the hook, especially because the camera doesn't particularly catch it that well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that adds to it in my book, <laughs> my little green book. Various other ECW wrestlers, including Tommy Dreamer, The Sandman, The Eliminators, and Chris Candido, appear to hold Taz back and check on Sabu as Lawler looks on cackling. The ECW contingent leave, escorted by Pat Patterson. Up next is Leaf Cassidy versus Miguel Perez. Now, let, let's can we get this out of the way with? Hairy? Yeah. His, as fuck. His, his back is so hairy. It's like he's wearing a jumper underneath his singlet. It'd be really warm. Yeah. Then we notice that actually he's not really very hairy under his arms. L- yeah, like from it's his like armpits. It's, it's like he's shaved his armpits but ignored his shoulders, back and chest. Like, there's nothing wrong. Like, I don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of back hair. It should. It should. But this be... isn't a little bit of back hair. <laughs> it's loads. If you're that hairy, it should be your gimmick. Yeah. Not Puerto Rico man, as he seems to be dressed up as. <laughs> well, you, well, you wanted some background on Miguel yeah, Perez, did you? Yeah. Who the fuck is he? Because he actually gets music, so we know he isn't a jobber and he's, of, yeah, uh, of and, sorts. Yeah. Well, Miguel Perez is a second generation wrestler from Puerto Rico, the son of. Oh. Somebody that we actually know. Fidel Castro. <laughs> Miguel Perez Sr. Okay. <laughs> Perez Jr. made his debut in 1985 in an angle with his father. Early in his career, he competed in Puerto Rico for the World Wrestling Council and the IWA and for CMLL in Mexico before heading to Japan, appearing in New Japan Pro Wrestling with a plethora of interesting tag team partners, including Sid, Owen Hart, what? Chris Benoit, Ricky Steamboat, and the lesser-known Laurinaitis brother, Marcus. This guy's had quite a uh, prestigious past. Perez would almost appear for WCW at Clash of the Champions 19 on June 16th, 1992, in a first-round tag team match in the NWA World Tag Team Title Tournament, teaming with Ricky Santana against the Steiner brothers, though Perez's team would lose the match via forfeit after their attack backstage. Perez would main event the legendary first ECW show under Paul Heyman's regime, Ultra Clash 93, teaming with Crash the Terminator, a.k.a. Hugh Morris, against the Headhunters in a baseball bat match. Crash the Terminator is a great name. Perez would get a pair of tryout matches before the Monday 13th, 1995 Raw taping, first being defeated by Louis Spicoli, Rad Radford, before pinning Steve Ridium, whoever that is. Following a slightly lengthier stint in WCW, i.e. he actually had a match this time, <laughs> which would include a victory over Juventud Guerrero on the November 11th Nitro, Perez would debut on WWF television on the February 24th Raw from the Manhattan Center, attacking Savio Vega from the crowd after Savio Vega's bout with Goldust. The storyline being that he's really, really mad at Savio for turning heel. Is that it? That's it. Brilliant. Prior to this, his television in-ring WWF debut would be a tag team match on the March 1st shotgun, teaming with Goldust and losing to Savio Vega and Crush. He actually wrestles for the WWF until, get this, December 1999. You what? Why have I never heard of him before? So we'll see him again. You, so he was still there in 1999? His last match that I can see it for the WWF is December 1999. I've never heard of this man. 
And you definitely remember him from that back. <laughs> yes, I know him as that hairy man. Leaf Cassidy appears from nowhere with a new theme tune, but the same old crap new rockers outfit. And yes, his opponent, the hairiest man in the universe, Miguel Perez, who has some jazzy Chiquitos music for his theme, as presumably Savio doesn't get to use that anymore. <laughs> we see highlights of Miguel's debut on Raw a couple of weeks prior, as Vince tells us that his father was a great wrestler who teamed up with Antonino Rocker. Perez and Leaf lock up with Cassidy getting a fireman's carry into an armbar. Miguel kips up and gets a hip toss to Cassidy. What's the thinnest book in the world? Oh, Lawler makes this joke. Something about great wrestlers from Puerto Rico. Yes. Lawler says basically that Perez has come to the WWF because he's jealous of Savio Vega. Perez gets a set of dodgy kip-ups before colliding awkwardly mid-ring with Cassidy and just deciding to hit a dropkick. Yeah, oh, yes. The, the, the kip-ups, he uses his hand. <laughs> Which sort of defeats the object. <laughs> well, like, he does it quite sneakily, so it, it's not... I don't think it's really obvious does he use his hand, but he... He just like uses it for a little bit of assistance. It's no Shawn Michaels. I mean, that's just like me just using my hand just a little bit just to get up from his chair. <laughs> it's a Where, little bit like that, yeah. Whereas Adam could do it without using his hands. That is true. Miguel applies an armbar before backing Leaf into the corner and attempting to whip him across the ring. Leaf reverses, but Miguel leaps backwards over Cassidy when he charges, and Leaf just sort of stands there looking dumb, having no idea where his opponent has gone, mm. apparently not having seen him go backwards over his head. Mm. On the way, standing by, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, You've caused enough trouble, but there he is, Paul Lee, back in the ECW locker room. And uh, Paul Lee, we would hope that you'd be able to constrain uh, some of your constituents here. I'll constrain my guys. You constrain your comedian. No more fun, no more games, no more interpromotional cooperation. Forget Paulie Dangerously. Jerry Lawler, Paul Heyman. You want to play with me? Oh, Ahmed Johnson brings his friends down. I have friends too. And every single one of them is extreme. You bring your friends and I'm going to bring mine, King. You want to debate me? One time you get out of line, my friends will show you up close how extreme they can be tonight on Monday Night Raw. We get an inset interview with Paul Heyman, who says that he'll constrain his guys if Vince constrains his comedian. I quite like that. I like Paulie. Leaf Cassidy actually hits a pretty nice release German suplex while this goes on, in case you missed it. I did miss that. We cut from the match to see Lawler's reaction as Heyman talks. Back in the ring, and Leaf Cassidy is in control, ramming Miguel's head into the corner and hitting headbutts. Cassidy hits a scoop slam and heads to the top rope, looking for a moonsault, but Miguel moves. It's a wonderful moonsault, though. I thought it was a really nice shape on it. Miguel hits punches to the gut and gets a big clothesline before Cassidy takes over with a powerbomb attempt, which Miguel reverses, cradling Cassidy into the pin for a three count. Vince says that Miguel is the pride of Puerto Rico. Uh, uh, Who else is famous from Puerto Rico? Savio Vega. Well, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they've lost pride in him, now he's joined the Nation of Domination. The second thinnest book in the world is famous people from Puerto Rico. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not a much you could get very excited about. It was a bit on the clumsy side, I thought. And again, we had lots of cuttings of different things, which I liked. I liked the Heyman thing. But again, I was listening and watching Paul Heyman rather than looking what was going on in the match. So it's like you just miss a section of it. It's like it's not quite decided what it is as a show. Like, I think it's this... I mean, are they, are they using the term sports entertainment? It's definitely been used at this point. Yeah, yeah. so they need to decide which bit is the sports bit <laughs> and which bit is the entertainment. They're trying to do sense. both at the same time. 
Well, kind of. It's, it's just that thing that you can have you can have bits that aren't wrestling on wrestling shows, but it, it's having wrestling and non wrestling bits on at the same time just doesn't make sense for me. Set to defend the title, of course, at WrestleMania. Although, let me ask you, uh, Sid, how do you react to this announcement, this bombshell, that next week, Brett will take you on less than one week before WrestleMania inside a cage? How do you react to it? I don't react, this McMahon! I react with the action! And I'm going to tell you something. See, tonight, it's a tag match with The Undertaker against Mankind and Vader. Three of your top guns coming to Psycho Sid. Next Monday, I've got Bret Hart in a cage match. Another top gun of the World Wrestling Federation coming to Psycho Sid. But that's okay, because after that, I go to WrestleMania, and I face the dead man, The Undertaker. And I go right on after that. Reason why? Just simple, my friend. I am the man, and I am the master, and I am the ruler of the world. Sid is standing by in his locker room. Vince asks Sid how he feels about defending against Bret Hart next week. Sid shouts very loudly while Miguel Perez's theme blares in the background. (laughs) Sid's face is very, very red. Very, very red. Sid's promo is very, very amazing. Uh, I think he says, I don't react. And then he says, I react with reaction. This is Sid, right? Well, he just, just, I like the way he's comparing himself to a precious metal. We finished the first hour of the show with Vince once again plugging the main event, the Heyman Lawler debate, and Ken Shamrock standing by with a big announcement. I've got to say, all of those things did make me a bit excited. We get the show intro one more time. It's still the wrong one. Why, why was this? Why do we get the intro again? Because it's the start of the second hour. It's a bit like the Nitro thing. It's time yeah. for hour two. Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have loads of fireworks, they did. or, or did they? There was fireworks. There, there was oh, fireworks. Like on the next show, though, the the, the, court, the like return back has loads of fireworks. In fact, I'm not sure if this one does. The second show has loads of fireworks. On Maybe the they did a focus group, and what they said was that it needs more fireworks. Like, I, like that, that's so stupid. We're halfway through the show. Let's show. Like, what are the what are the TV show would do that? Seriously. We cut back to the ring for some minor pyro as JR introduces the most dangerous man in the world, Ken Shamrock. They need to slightly adjust that nickname. The, the, also, like, you know, Saddam Hussein's still active at this point, right? What, why did they say that? Why does they need to adjust that? Well, he becomes the world's most dangerous man. Oh, does he? It's pretty much the same words, but in a different order. Because uh, it's brilliant for me, because I, I put this down. The most dangerous man in the world, Ken. <laughs> Without the Shamrock, it really doesn't have the same impetus. We'll do a full introduction for Shamrock when we cover WrestleMania. JR tells us that Shamrock will be the special guest referee in the Bret Hart-Steve Austin submission match at WrestleMania and asks Shamrock what kind of referee he will be. Ken answers by saying hello to all the fans and saying how great it is to be in the WWF. He says it'll be a privilege to referee the match. I didn't like this and I think this is one of the things that it really shows about it being Clive because for me, he wasn't smooth, he wasn't confident, he didn't have any charisma at all during this, which is think is that for for a star coming in he didn't seem quite as mental as i remember him no he didn't snap at any point in no this. he didn't punch his head and shout presumably like i don't know much of his background for this but ufc presumably he'd have been around in that obviously it's a different kind of thing but doing interviews and stuff so yeah but it, it's it's the difference between interviews and promos isn't yeah. it yeah he, like he felt very wooden right yeah yeah i don't completely agree with you but that wouldn't have 
necessarily been part of his training as yeah. an ultimate fighter to cut good promos, yeah. probably. They, yeah, but that's not so much sports entertainment. It's just sports. Shamrock talks about rules breaking, not rule breaking, rules breaking, before saying he'll be a fair referee. JR asks Ken if he's thought about the rules of the match, but before he can respond, Steve Austin interrupts from the Titan Tron. I think we can all agree that Ken Shamrock is not going to show any fear in a very tough situation at WrestleMania 13. Have you given more thought about uh, the rules of this match? They seem to be very simple and straightforward. Well, you know, it's, it's shut kind your of holes, Dan Just shut your whole time. Because you can sit there and say it's an honor for you to be a part of WrestleMania 13. You ought to consider it an honor that I don't come out there and stomp your little guts in right now. I don't know what the hell Bret Hart's doing to get all these title shots, but I think it's a complete bunch of BS that he gets a title shot before WrestleMania. Now, the last thing I am is a Bret Hart fan, but I hope the hell he wins against Psycho Sid because that means the title will be on the line at WrestleMania. And you can sit out there with that stupid look on your face, and even you know that that title should be on the waist of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Bret Hart, you can come to the ring at 13 with your little sharpshooter, but I ain't never given up at nothing in my life. And you think that I'm going to start at WrestleMania 13, you got another thing coming. Stone Cold Steve Austin's time has come, and you don't know what I'm coming with, son. And Scott. The bottom line is, Shamrock, after I get through making Bret Hart say I quit, I might just as well knock your lights out and sweep the ring with you. Oh, uh, it's getting a little personal. I apologize for that. Well, you know, fighting is my game. It is my life. I've been doing it all my life. Right. I didn't bring my tights here tonight to uh, even to get it on here. I came here to do one thing, and that's to referee a match fairly. But if you think that you're man enough and you want to come on down here in the ring, I am not going anywhere. He laments Brett getting another title shot, but says he hopes Brett wins so that the title is on the line in their match at WrestleMania. Austin says his time has come, and that after he makes Brett say, I quit, he may just knock Ken Shamrock out. Shamrock responds mildly, inviting Austin to the ring. Instead, Bret Hart's music hits and the hitman walks to the ring. Bret says it's nice of the WWF to let him speak after three weeks, saying it was nice to win the WWF title, but he had it ripped away from him and nobody in the WWF is doing anything about it. Bret says he's had it up to here with the lack of justice in the WWF. Bret says next Monday night he'll become WWF champion for the fifth time to a mixed reaction. Brett laments everyone who screwed him as Lawler makes wah noises. Brett says he likes Shamrock, but if Shamrock thinks about screwing with him at WrestleMania, it'll be the biggest mistake he ever makes. Shamrock says he isn't a marriage counsellor. Great gimmick idea. (laughs) (laughs) And he was hired to referee a match. Steve Austin appears at the top of the stage and trash talks as we go to commercial. This this is a very interesting segment of thoughts as a whole. I mean, you know, talks about Ken being wooden, but it kind of, obviously picks up but it's a little bit odd still in that for me to to some extent austin starts having a go at brett but then undermines him he undermines his own point because he talks about not want not wanting brett to have a title shot but then saying he's glad he has it's kind of a convoluted situation yeah yeah it's it's a bit weird And, and why does he threaten ken what's ken done to him sorry have you met steve austin yeah threaten everyone 
But it, I, th- I thought so it was it's just, really... It's just been it was, a prick. Well, yeah, that's his character. I, th- I thought this was, like, really good because I think Shamrock was losing it, really. He, he's, he is so inexperienced in doing this type of thing that it just kind of falls really flat. And I think that Austin was really good. Now, he might have had a bit of a convoluted point, but there was enough venom beyond what he said to make it seem at least very interesting. Also, opening with shut your hole, Shamrock, was, was, was a good opening. Well, I've got to say, I thought Brett was good in this. It, Brett was good in this. It's good to hear Brett speak with that level of passion and intensity because one of the things that, you know, thinking back to our very first show, you know, King of the Ring 93, one of the things that I must have mentioned in that is he, he was very subdued in his promo work and kind of not great, I didn't think there. This, I thought, was, you know, you felt every word well again one of the things probably i've mentioned before is that you know brett isn't regarded as one of those guys who's stellar on the mic but if you're looking at brett hart's best year for promos it's undoubtedly 1997 Mm. so we've got plenty of crackers to come another little bit about steve austin that when he comes out on the ramp you know it's all this really aggressive really feisty guy and then he just walks back like if he's that aggressive and that feisty go and fight them It, it doesn't fit I was okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess to some extent, you can't have him doing it all the time, but it just felt really weird that he just like, turns around and just walks back out through the little black curtain. Also, Adam picked up on Bret Hart looking a lot like Eddie Vedder in this segment. Sim- similar hair, similar shirt. Up next is Billy Gunn versus Aldo Montoya. I thought it was going to be the Honky Tonk Man against Aldo Montoya for a, for a short yeah, time. Yeah, because Honky comes out, doesn't he? He's going to sing his song, but he's not going to sing it. He also keeps calling Worcester, Wooster. Yeah. It says he's going to clone himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't get the reception he felt he deserved, so he, so he's leaving. Okay. The smoking guns theme hits and out comes Billy Gunn. I thought he had a broken neck. Apparently he's fine now, as they've just dropped <laughs> that angle entirely, probably because nobody cared. Yeah. Honky Tonk Man joins the announced team and says he has a list for his new protege narrowed down to about three people, which includes Lawler Vince and, well, three more people. Uh, a wrestle maths? Well, three plus two is five. I've got, I've got to say that <laughs> I've got to say I really don't like Honky Tonk Man. I don't know. I don't know why I don't like him. He really kind of just I switch off whenever he appears. I'm with you on this. His babbling on about finding his next, you know, the next Honky Tonk Man is really irritating. It just I, keeps on going. I've got to be honest, I've always had it whenever he's appeared, though, and I don't know where it first came from, but it's just... Like, An irrational hatred of the honky-tonk, man. Well, it's not so much hated, just, like, complete... Okay, a bit of hatred, but a little bit <laughs> of apathy as well, just, like, literally, it's, it's this kind of, like, my brain switches off. Is it like your problem with Rick the Model Martel? No, it was, that was his pants. <laughs> <laughs> you don't mind the honky-tonk man's jumpsuit? I love it. Billy Gunn, while he's been injured, apparently, has bought himself some lovely black jeans. Mm. He stomps on Aldo Montoya in the corner. Montoya gets a sunset flip for a two before a big clothesline from Billy. Aldo hits an enziguri for a delayed sell from Billy, and Aldo bangs the canvas, getting no response whatsoever from the crowd. Right about that. Standing by right now, ladies and gentlemen, I think we have a Sonny. Oh, yeah. Sonny. Undercover with Sonny. I like that. Hey, Vince, wouldn't you like to get undercover with Sonny? I bet Billy Gunn would like to get undercover with Sonny as soon as he hears what I have to say about him. Tune in to Shotgun Saturday night to hear all the best gossip and dirt and wrestling with Undercover with Sonny. Billy hits a DDT as we cut to a split screen with Sonny. Apparently she has a new segment on Shotgun Saturday night called Undercover with Sonny. It's nice. almost a bit suggestive, isn't it? But one I've learned about Shotgun Saturday night is it lies. 
So that is not going to be as much fun as I think it's going to be. It's going to be her with Kermit the Frog. Yeah, or something like that. She didn't come on and say her new segment is called In Through the Back Door, or whatever that film's called. <laughs> what? While this is going on, Billy Gunn hits a leg drop from the top rope for the three count. This match was shit. It was badly performed, and I didn't care about it. Yeah, I wasn't keen. Mankind, I think you would have to say that uh, the team that you're going to be facing uh, a little less than cohesive tonight. Uncle Bob, I think I have a much better grasp of reality than people think. I realize I don't need art! I realize I don't need mommy. The World Wrestling Federation would like you to believe that I just crawled out of a boiler room. Uncle Paul, I spent my entire adult life in preparation for this moment. And I've got the scars to prove it. And now they want to make a big deal out of The Undertaker and Psycho Sid. Well, the real story is that mankind and the man named Cole Meter are a team. Undertaker, you know me well. Psycho Sid, you're about to know me real well. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. you will find out that when you take a bite out of the banished apple on the tree, Mankind is standing by cradling the urn as we get a lovely shot of his sliced up arm. Mm. Paul Bearer joins in before Mankind talks about his grasp on reality. He throws the urn down and says he doesn't need that or his mommy. He says he's prepared his whole life for this moment and talks about Undertaker teaming with Sid as his promo gets cut short when we go to break. Paul Bearer's face in this. Seriously, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a real shame because this was amazing. Mm. I thought Mankind's performance was brilliant. I love that, you know screaming I don't need urns and throwing it down and then yes Paul Bearer's face as the urn gets thrown to the floor is cracking I don't know what the expression is kind of like horror I guess scared horror would you believe our next match is our seventh match of the evening I would (laughs) I really would Goldust versus Tim McNeedy (laughs) did you just make that up no 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 that's apparently his name I put McNeedy I've got McNeedy. McNeely, one of, one of the three. I've, I've got McCready. When we return from commercial, Goldust is disrobing in the ring with Marlena. Her, her robe stays on, Adam. I, I know. JR tells us that Goldust will face Hunter Hearst Helmsley at WrestleMania. Again, before the match can even begin, Triple H and that woman appear on the stage. That woman, you say? This has happened in literally every single squash match tonight. Yeah. Rocky, Ahmed, Goldust... Someone appears at the top of the stage as the match starts. Yeah, it's like they've had one idea and just gone fuck it, do it for all of them. Who's who's on the board at the minute? Obviously, Vince is okaying everything, but who's around the table deciding on what's being done? Cornet, Russo, Pat Patterson, those kind of guys. Whose influence do you think this is? I think it's April before Russo gets any kind of real influence, uh, so it may not be him in a major way. Is this just Vince being Vince saying, "Oh, this uh, this this idea works." Yeah. Just bang it out, photocopy it. Yeah, we'll but make it, a tag it, team out of it. Yeah, <laughs> it very much feels like that. Goldust hits a flying butt attack to McNeedy as we get Vince doing his. Look at her; she's massive. She's huge. 
routine in it's reference like, to that woman. It's like his thing with Mabel, isn't it? He's, yeah. he's got to think about people being huge. Goldus kicks McNeedy in the butt and hits the curtain call for the three. <laughs> Five-star classic. That woman begins to walk to the ring and Marlena hides behind Goldust. Helmsley attacks Goldust from behind and he and that woman kick away at Goldust before Marlena jumps on the woman's back for probably the biggest pop of the night so far. I think definitely the biggest pop of the night. I've got to say, Marlena is really over. Like, genuinely. Remember, was it... Shotgun Saturday Night? No, like that. (laughs) Was it also Royal Rumble where she was the most over out of all the people in her match? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder why. I have no idea. But... I thought this was genuinely quite... then got quite heated quite quickly. Vince tells us that Marlena is full of spunk. I think that's her business. (laughs) That might well be Sonny. (laughs) (laughs) It means... It's got a different feel to it in America, hasn't it, that phrase? And this isn't meant to be sexist, but several grown men struggle to keep two women, one of whom is very small apart. (laughs) Yeah, like, how much, like Marlena must only weigh about five stone or something. Probably. We get a great moment when that woman clumsily slams one of the referees onto another one. It looks like he's going to die. Yeah. I think it's like, she came into the company and thought, oh, I need to ask someone what to do. So she went to Arbor Johnson and said, oh, what should I do? And he just said, oh, I just picked someone up and lobbed on their heads. That's what I do, and I get along fine. But the thing is, like, they keep replaying this over and over <laughs> yeah. again. Like, it's amazing, and it just, it's really it's dangerous. So I've got to say, one of the things that, that I find quite interesting about the China character at the minute is... She's not got a name, she's just that woman. Well, that woman that is later on, names China, is that she's kind of got this quite aggressive look, and then she's got a very feminine scrunchie in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? It's like, it, it, it just, like, doesn't... It's incongruous. Yes, completely incongruous. Just, yeah, very just out of place. Just made me smile. We haven't even heard her talk yet, though, have we? No. Because I've, I've always think the thing about this woman is that she does actually look pretty badass. She looks big and aggressive, and she throws people dangerously. But when she talks, it loses all... All the, all, the, all the sort of power goes because she's got a really irritating voice. Quick question, like, I must have seen... I, I probably should know the answer to this, but do any female wrestlers have masks? Sexy star. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, Saturine in Chikara had a mask. I'm trying to think of others. Well, who had those? There must be loads of Japanese wrestlers who have had masks, right? Female? I'm not, I'm not so sure. There's, there definitely will be, but I can't yeah. think of any but off the top it, of like, my head. It's kind of, I almost think, like, almost... There's perhaps space for, like... A, a different sort of female monster wrestler, kind of like... Are you saying that China should have been Kane? <laughs> no, not, no, not saying China should have been Kane. But I think there's kind of... There's, there is perhaps room for that. It, it does feel a bit different to anything... It would have probably got. saved him about 200k in surgery. <laughs> have you totted up the bill? <laughs> I'm just guessing. They gave her a new face. You look at, look at this woman and, right, OK, so when they've done with her... Hey, she's got a different nose. She's got a different jaw. Mm. They've completely reshaped her jaw and cranked her jugs up about tenfold. That's got to come with some sort of cost, right? Helmsley and the Amazonian leave the ring. Oh, they really overused the word Amazonian Damn. as well. It just kept making me think of that Future Armour episode. Yes. Am- yeah. Amazon women in the mood. Me snoo snoo now. In the ring, JR has his lovely podium that he used to chair the debate between Sean and Sid. I guess someone fixed it. 
We see highlights of that woman before JR says we're ready for the great debate. Haven't, haven't we met Mr. The, the Castrol advert? There was a Castrol advert. A, I, I didn't get his name, so I put Castrol GTX. It wasn't Castrol. <laughs> it was like Castrol Sim or something, I don't know. There was a Castrol. I just wanted them to have a bomber jacket for sale. All right, gentlemen, the premise here that Mr. Lawler, the question Mr. Lawler is posing is should ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, even exist? We will. Uh, we had our obligatory coin toss in the locker room area, of course, and Mr. Lawler did win the toss, Good. Mr. Dangerously, as you're aware. So Mr. Lawler will start our debate with a 90-second opening. First of all, let me say this. The question is not whether ECW should exist. My question is whether ECW does exist. Because you see something, Pauline, you are being seen right now by more people at this very minute. Oh, yeah, hey, wait, what's this? Yeah. Go ahead, Jake. Keep out there if you don't mind. You're being seen by more people right now at this very minute than you have ever been seen by in your entire life. Because your little rinky-dink ECW promotion is a bunch of misfits, a bunch of thugs, and a bunch of has-beens that couldn't catch on with any legitimate wrestling organization. Yeah, listen up, guys. I'm talking about all of you. You understand that? Easy. So what you idiots did, you all migrated to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and you all got your little pea brains together, and you said, hey, maybe we can't wrestle, so maybe if we can beat ourselves into oblivion with frying pans over our head, or maybe let e- beat each other up with barbed wire-covered baseball bats. Oh, my goodness. Maybe there's enough morons and brain-damaged idiots in the city of Philadelphia to come and see us. And you know what, Paulie? You go down to a bingo hall once a month in Philadelphia, and you put on your little charades, and you beat each other into oblivion. There's blood running everywhere. And you draw about, well, about 1,100 people come to see you do this stuff. 1,100 idiots. But you know what? Your time is up. My time's not up. I'm going to let him talk. He told the truth. When the World Wrestling Federation goes to Philadelphia, they put 22,000 people into the core state spectrum. That's the core state spectrum. Now, my question for you, McMahon. is if you're trying to shut up, us, shut the hell You don't up. need ECW. Just let me stand up and yell fire. Just keep talking. That's King. all you need to do. Mr. Lawler, now it is his Go turn. Back to the WWF. Put 22,000 people in the seat. It's not a testament to anything that you've ever accomplished in your whole stinking life. The fact, the fact that we earned the respect of every single one of those 1,100 people by bleeding, by sweating, by fighting, by taking each other down and showing these people that we will bust our ass, bust our ass to give them their money's worth. That's what ECW is all about. That's why Uh-oh. on Sunday night, April 13th, we're going to give them a pay-per-view. And you're right, Jerry Lawler. You're right. We are very small. Give me the high side. I'll cane his ass right now. No, 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 no. no. Uh Yeah. Take him back. 
Maintain some decorum, please, if we can. You ought to get down on your hands and knees and thank your lucky stars that you're getting to plug a stinking pay-per-view on Monday Night Raw. Do you understand that? And why Vince McMahon allows it, I'll never know. Look, and you're proud of drawing 1,100 people in Philadelphia? Because we are! That's 4 million people! There's 1,100 more huns that have come to watch paint dry! <laughs> yeah, I'm shooting with you, that's right, yeah! Hey, how you doing at the seesaws in Louisville, Jerry? Huh? Your own sons don't call themselves Waller! Why? Why? Because they're ashamed of your ass! We earn everything we got! We give these people their money's worth. You never earned anything in your life. You're a 35-year-old man who still, still lives with his mother and How father. You? Huh? If it wasn't for your mom and dad who financed this bunch of crap, you wouldn't be anything. You understand that? Huh? You want to shoot with somebody? Why do you hang around with these guys? You're not an athlete. I hang around with them because they give the people their money's worth. Because they want to go on pay-per-view and be extreme. We are the Howard Stern of wrestling. Shut that microphone down his protein. Shut him up. We're hardcore and damn proud of it. You know why you hang around with him, Pauline? Because you are a little light in the loafer. Why don't you go ahead and admit it right now? You want to start a war? Go get every single one of you guys, and I'll show you how to start an effing war right here and right now. Come on. Hey. Oh, yeah. You brought your whole crew down here. Don't worry, I got some idiots. Too, you know. You don't hey, you don't want me to go back there and get my friends. Because all my friends are worth it. He's not a piece of crap. He's not worth it. Alright? Hey! Shut up! Alright guys, come on out! Right now! Here we go! Alright, right here now. we go. The king is I'll gonna bring some of the strings down here. Who? Who? Who you got? You don't worry about it. Come on, guys, right now. Jerry the King Roller asking for some of his friends to join him. Tell you what, Lawler, take your pick. First two punches are for free. Shut up. I got guys back there. I know they're back. Come on out here. I got friends. Come on. The King inviting his friends to join him and take on. Get your ass out of here now. Well, we're going to get your ass out for you. Hey, let me tell you something. Now, you won't tell me you're anything. You're not going to do anything, you little punk. These guys might do something. You yourself couldn't do anything. You understand that, Pauly? Huh? Oh, yeah. You can turn somebody. Well, I guess I mean, maybe the what can you do? What can you do? The kid couldn't have any friends. What can you do? guys in the back couldn't hear it. In the ring, representing himself is Jerry the King Lawler. Ross Welcomes, representing Extreme Championship Wrestling... Paul E. Dangerously. They are debating, should ECW exist? Lawler won the coin toss, apparently, so he speaks first. Brilliant. He starts, but soon a number of ECW wrestlers head to ringside. Lawler says that ECW is rinky-dink, and that all of their guys couldn't make it in other promotions. (laughs) I've got to say, fair play, the the use of the term (laughs) rinky-dink. Brilliant. Vince gives an, oh my goodness, when Lawler talks about barbed wire-covered baseball bats. JR tries to cut Lawler off, but the King isn't having any of it. Heyman, however, shouts for Lawler to shut up. Heyman gives an impassioned response as Tommy Dreamer, the Sandman, and Beulah McGillicutty head to the ring. 
Heyman talks Sandman down from caning Lawler, and Lawler rips on ECW for only drawing 1,100 people, saying that 4 million people live in Philadelphia and that 1,100 people would turn up to watch paint dry. Heyman asks Lawler if he wants to shoot with him. Did you catch the line here? What line? Lawler says he does. Heyman asks how Lawler is doing at the seesaws in Louisville. You remember when Jerry because Lawler those, disappeared for a while? Of those oh. sodomy charges to minors. Not minors, but minors. Oh, my, right. So this is like proper shooting? Yes. Got you. Because <laughs> <laughs> tell you what I got fixated on. I got fixated Seesaws. on the numbers. <laughs> because they're talking about, it was talking about, you know, the, the 1100 versus the 22,000 that they were drawing in Philly. And I was thinking, well, that, that's a very good comparison because it's 20 times bigger. That's where I was focusing on, so I completely missed that. Basically, he called him a paedophile on national television. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, they, they really went for it. <laughs> to, in all credit to Lawler, I don't know what this says about the man, but he just no-sells that. Oh, yeah, completely just like, breezes past it. kind of so, and just carries on. They, 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 were, they were pretty venomous. Do they genuinely not the, get on? The feeling at the time is that these two hate each other. Yeah, and it really comes across. They're either doing a great job of acting it or they actually fucking But that's the great thing other. about the wrestling business is that people who hate each other will work with each other so, all the time if they yeah. can make money from it. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the opinion is that Lawler really does think ECW is shit. Mm. And obviously yeah. Heyman doesn't. Yeah, and takes great exception to that, I dare say. Lawler and Heyman start shouting at each other before Tommy Dreamer interrupts and breaks the podium. Sandman smashes a beer can over his head as Lawler backs into the corner. Best possible moment of the night is Lawler saying, I'm going to get all my friends to come out and help me. <laughs> Nobody comes out. C- come on, guys. C- come on. Damn. <laughs> Damn. It's not her. Damn! <laughs> but even when, like, Lawler's obviously realised no one's coming out and obviously Heyman's giving him shit in the corner and saying, like, oh, I'm going to batter you. Lawler even then is like, you're not going to do anything. All these guys are, but you're not. You yourself are not going to do anything. (laughs) I thought this was amazing. Yeah, really good stuff. Well, well, this is where the show picked up. (laughs) Really picked up. But at the same time, it's just another segment kind of really featuring heavily non-WWF performers. Mm. In fact... Promoting a pay-per-view for another company, like, 13 days before your biggest pay-per-view of the year, essentially. Tell you what, though, does this make you want to tune in next week? Yes, it does. Yes, it really does. It's time for our main event. The Undertaker and Sid against Mankind and Vader. Mankind and Vader enter alongside Paul Bearer for the main event. Sid enters first for his team, fist-bumping on his way to the ring. He gets his pyro to a pop from the crowd. Mankind and Vader attack Sid before the Undertaker even enters. Sid fights them off, hitting Vader with a clothesline and kicking Mankind, but Vader attacks Sid from behind. The heel duo double-teams Sid in the corner until The Undertaker runs out and clotheslines Vader before hitting a choke slam. Taker then boots Vader over the top rope. Mankind then clotheslines himself and Taker to the outside, but Taker lands on his feet and Mankind lands awkwardly on the curiously placed ring steps. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. We- they're weird ring steps as well because they're quite wide. And not want to pick those up. Yeah. The crowd chants for Sid as Vader chokes him in the corner. Vader hits a splash to Sid for a two count as a let's go Sid chant starts up. Vader applies a chin lock to slow things down further for a good four minutes. Sid eventually starts to come back to life as JR says he can't remember a WrestleMania where they were so close yet so much was up in the air. Get used to it. We change booking (laughs) plans all the time in the future. What's actually going on here is this match has just been a four minute shot of a chin lock. Mm. Yeah. 
There's lots of stuff in this match that I quite like, but the chin lock was like an IRS chin lock. Plus, as Sid powers out, we go to commercial. That was just piss poor timing. Like these days, like you know, 90% of the time on Raw, they will come back from break and someone will just be about to power out of the Ooh, chin lock. Yeah. The Karate Fighters Rewind <laughs> takes us back 20 minutes ago when Marlena attacked that woman. Back from break and Sid suplexes Vader. On the outside, Taker and Mankind have a fight and Vince tells us that the USA network have granted them more time, presumably for more chin locks. Vader tags Mankind, who elbow drops Sid and covers for a two. Sid tags Taker, and Taker hits a big boot and a chokeslam. Taker covers, but Sid enters the ring and prevents Vader from interfering. This means Earl Hebner doesn't count, apparently. Nice work, Earl. Sid fights on the outside with Vader, and the Undertaker decides to get involved, looking for an axe handle off the apron. Instead of hitting Vader, however, he hits Sid. Nightmare. It's the one thing. Sid responds, nailing the Undertaker, and the partners head back into the ring, where Taker hits a damn good chokeslam to Sid. Yeah, yeah. quite nice. Taker then hits a massive running plancher over the top rope. Also awesome. Onto Vader and Mankind. I've got to say that this is perhaps the best is looked. Yeah, it's like the first time we've seen Undertaker do that. Oh, I think this is the first time we've seen him do it. It becomes a regular thing of his, doesn't it, to do that? He busts it out at Mania each year. Yeah. Or used to. So it's relatively regular, once a year. Vader rolls into the ring and covers Sid as Taker and Mankind brawl on the ramp. Sid leaves the ring to fight the Undertaker and roll him back (laughs) into the ring. Sid hits a pretty good powerbomb to the Undertaker. Yeah, 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 very nice. He then leaves the ring, pushing Mankind out of the way. Off camera, Vader covers the Undertaker for the three count. Vader looks to Vader bomb the dead man, but Sid shoves him off the top rope. Taker then disposes of Vader and runs up the ramp to confront Sid, who was already left. Mm. There's quite a bit of that match that I liked. It was good apart from the chin lock. You remove that massive chin lock out of it, and I think it's way better. There was a. I thought the very end was it was a little clustered, but there was some very nice stuff in there. Do you think that was satisfactory for a main event of a two-hour show where you've built it up at the start? I've got to say, it was average. It, it wasn't a stellar main event. It was it was acceptable. I wouldn't have had that Karate Fighters Rewind in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, it, this was your star match of the night. Yeah, it had more star power in it, but it wasn't a great match. But yeah, th- those choke slams and power bombs Sid and the Undertaker yeah. were doing yeah. to each other, damn good. And Undertaker's dive over the top was amazing. Well, what, the, what will happen quite nicely from this is this has enough material in it to build quite nicely to make a promo package for WrestleMania. Yeah, that, yeah that's some good stuff to yeah, take yeah, out of yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Bret Hart is stood by backstage. Vince asks him how he got his title match next week. Bret says he guess he got it by crying about it, and that next week he'll win the title as the show ends. I've got written down, King of the Beast isn't a giraffe. <laughs> I honestly have that written down. Yeah, someone yeah. does say something that, about a giraffe. No, that they? is Bret, and it pretty sure it's this promo saying that, yeah, obviously Sid is very tall. Okay. So what did you make to that new revamped Raw is War then? For a first effort. It needs to be a bit smoother. I've got kind of a conflicting feeling on it, is that I know that the components to it aren't very good, 
but overall I found it enjoyable to watch. And I don't know whether that is just like it's just got so much more focus on storyline, it becomes a bit more like an episode of Neighbours with a few fights. <laughs> hour two was significantly better than hour one, I'd say that. Better quality of stars or less squash matches? I suppose there was only one in the second hour. It's no way near as good a show as one nine four. And and how would you kind of compare it to the two hour nitros you've seen? The match quality's down. There's more storyline and less match quality. But on a positive note, there's less Hulk Hogan wiggling his bottom at the end of it. You can see why Nitro's winning. I mean, I mean I've got, I think they've got some elements that are good and that are positive. I, I would still say I'd rather watch the top drawer of WWF than WCW. It is the, the under and mid card that is just letting it down massively. What, what do you reckon? It's definitely different. It is. You, you know, obviously, I've kind of watched the better part of Raw's entire existence through covering the show. And, yeah, this is a show that feels significantly different. I mean, I thought Raw in 1996 was decent. Yeah. Nitro is undoubtedly the more exciting show, but Raw was getting to a place where it was very solid rather than you generally get one good episode a month, maybe. Mm. Because three of your episodes would be canned, and the one generally the one that would be taped live the night after the pay per view would usually be quite good. Yeah, uh, and the rest might be a little bit filler. Yeah, the problems there are they've not got enough of a roster to cover what they're aiming to do, and it's leading to just some very odd people being on the show and some very odd situations. And yeah, I kind of hadn't really thought about the point you'd raised where you know they're cutting to, say, someone like Brian Pillman to promote something he's doing in the middle of a match when actually you could probably use that time to fill something else mm. rather than having... I mean, how many promos did, like, Mankind, Paul, Bear and Vader have on this? Three? Yeah. I think Brett three, yeah. was on twice. Like, not that I'm complaining about seeing that much Paul, Bear and Vader, Mankind or Bret Hart, but it just feels weird to see them have that many appearances in one show. I guess they just need to reuse them. They've probably got it to a point where they, they had a good amount of people to fill the hour show and to satisfy pay-per-views, but they just don't... I mean, they, they were doing it for half the time, and now they've doubled it up, and well, they don't have double the amount of stars to put in it, so how is it ever going to work in the same way? It's, it's quite weird, though, in a way, because I really, really like the two-hour in-your-house shows... Yeah, but these are a million. You know, despite having the length in common, these shows are a million miles apart, aren't they? Mm. You know, one is very much focused on having good matches, and one is focused around you know building storylines. Obviously, you've got to build storylines to, to make your pay per views, but it feels like the balance isn't right. Mm. Let's see if week two gets any better. It's Monday the 17th of March 1997 and we are live from the War Memorial in Syracuse, New York. Following the altered show opening, we head to the arena for much fiery pyro and shots of the crowd as well. Nobody welcomes us to the show. There's a rowdy crowd though. Mm. Well, I've got to say, definitely more pyro this week. Um, yeah, they've, they've ramped that up. The, the focus group said, what, you know, what can we do better, guys? More fireworks. And, and they've done it. I want them with more urgency. Our opening contest this evening is the Legion of Doom against Savio Vega and Crush. The Legion of Doom head to the ring to a big pop, whereupon Vince finally says something, welcoming us to the show alongside Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. PG-13 wrap the Nation of Domination to the ring, sans Farouk. Vince says that both Farouk and Ahmed have been barred from ringside. As Crush and Savio Vega walk to the ring, the LOD attack and the duos brawl around the ring. 
big LOD chants mm. from the crowd. Yeah, it was, I guess there's a lot of excitement for them coming back. It was an intense start, and I've got to say, I think Savio Vega is now looking a lot better than he used to. He's got himself some heel gear. Yeah, it, it, it does look quite mean, and I think it almost like this gear suits his physique better. Yeah, I would, I'd go with that. He almost he looks better as a as a serious competitor rather than plucky, lovable foreigner. I mean, there's a cracking spot in the minute though. Where there's the whole there's the Irish whip into the corner. Let's run towards the corner and then stop. We also get a first shot of like the greatest sign of the night, which is the big WWF sign. But the W and the W are massive and very curly, and the F is tiny, and they've drawn nipples on the uh, on the Ws. Cracking. Yeah, I drew a picture of it. Look. Well, so I've drawn did. a picture of it later on. I'll show you mine like, if you show me yours. Go, go on then. <laughs> um, let me get through. It's to taking the page. a dark turn. I maybe didn't do it quite as big as you. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. What do you reckon to my effort? Adam's a better artist than me, so is, is his uh, also, right? also, your your nipples aren't attached to the boobs. They're just floating. Oh. Oh. So they are. <laughs> Hawk and Savio fight around the ring as Animal and Crush start to have an actual match in the ring. Animal hits a shoulder block to Crush, followed by an elbow drop as Savio and Hawk get into the ring. Standing by right now, ladies and gentlemen. Live from ringside, there he is, Ahmed Johnson. Live with us and Ahmed. Right now, it looks like the Legion of Doom are cleaning house. You must be pleased. Well, I'm very pleased, and that's just the beginning. We didn't even start cleaning house yet, Vince. Uh, what are we going to see in Chicago Street Fight? Bring what you will, come as you are. Will this be the end of the Nation of Domination? It's all about Chicago Street Fight. I can't tell you what you're going to see. The guys call the street fight, don't you tell them what you're going to see. You might see something you don't want to see. All right, well, we thank you very much for joining us. Ahmed Johnson, not pleased, ladies and gentlemen, to be barred from ringside. Ahmed Johnson is standing by backstage, wearing a lovely purple leather jacket with A and J on each breast and sunglasses. I quite liked it. I hope he's got a sensible thing on underneath it. <laughs> I hope he's got a sensible thing underneath it. You know, just in case he has to run out in, say, front of a crowd. <laughs> he says... Something. I've just got army gibberish. I didn't catch a word of this. I've got some of these words. He said, <laughs> I do, like, because he asked, what, what do you think you're going to see? I don't know what you're going to see. Thanks for your insight, Ahmed. We go back to the match. Savio and Hawk square off in the ring. And yes, Savio has a new outfit. As Savio pile drives Hawk, which is never a good idea because he always, <laughs> always just no sells it. Like, literally yeah, just, just stands up. Straight up. We cut to an interview with Farouk. We've got the leader of the Nation of Domination. Farouk, there he is. Yeah. And Farouk. Oh! Absolutely right. right. And that was just the start in Madison Square Garden as far as what Ahmed Johnson's going to get. Nobody has better unity. Nobody has better solidarity than the Nation of Domination. You can go out and get the World Warriors all you want. Oh, hold it. I forgot, Ahmed. You can't understand me. I better speak your body to you. You go and get them down road warriors all you want. Bring it to Chicago in the street fight. Because, punk, when you look up street, you see Farouk named by. Then you bring him on. Farouk cuts a slightly more intelligible promo, saying that he needs to talk in Ebonics so Ahmed can understand him. <laughs> Animal has Savio in a chin lock as the crowd chants for the LOD. Savio reverses it into a hammerlock, but Animal elbows him and tags Hawk. We cut for footage from the previous evening at Madison Square Garden where the NOD attacked Ahmed Johnson as he was about to win a match against Savio. Hawk and Crush both no-sell a double clothesline. Hawk hits a drop kick and a fist drop as we go to break. Slam of the week shows us Taker choke-slamming Sid and diving over the top rope the previous week. I think that's fair, fair play, that right pick, I think. 
But it's in the middle of a match. Yeah, stupid timing. Back from that, and Savio hits his decent spin over the top rope kick to Hawk in the corner. Nice. Savio tags Crush, and we go back to Farouk. Except he isn't there. We go back to an, an empty room. Oh, it's, it's... Classic. Well... I'd go to Ahmed Johnson next, that's what I'd do. Crush covers Hawk for a two as we go to Ahmed, who is watching the match backstage. The shot is set up so that it's blatantly obvious that Farouk is about to attack Ahmed from behind. Well, particularly when they're they're basically saying, are you worried that Farouk isn't there? Where do you think he is? (laughs) (laughs) He does, with a nightstick, and referees drag him away. In the ring, Animal hits a double clothesline to the nation for a pop. Animal sets Savio up for the Doomsday device, but Farouk attacks from behind with his nightstick, causing the DQ at nine minutes. The Nation attack the LOD, but Ahmed, in a fetching pair of stripy tights... Yeah, what was that? Because they weren't just tights. It was like a kind of a, a, a unitard. A yeah. trousered singlet. But the, the top part of, it, part of it, was like, it was like a tiny pair of dungarees. Which is, it also, the material looked worryingly thin. Yes, at least he didn't get a butter cow, though. <laughs> yes, that, maybe this is the solution we've been waiting for. <laughs> He's he, got his plank. He runs out with his massive plank <laughs> and fends them off. He but, also snaps the plank, plank over the back of one of those poor PG-13 chaps. <laughs> I've got to say, it must be rigged because it looked a fairly solid plank and it wasn't that hard a hit. He hits the Pearl River plunge to a massive pop on JC Ice as the LOD hit the doomsday device on poor old D'Lo Brown. And he loses. Ah. Do you notice he loses his shoe? <laughs> I didn't spot that. He, did, no. he lost the shoe. Doomsday device out of his shoe. Yep, happens. Uh, Dino Brown has to take some dangerous moves. At least but, he didn't have to go through that French announce table. Well, mm. yeah, but I mean, the, the doomsday device never looks pleasant, does it? It always looks like it could possibly break your neck. And he had to take that Pearl River plunge on top of that car. Gerald Briscoe tells everyone to calm down as <laughs> Ahmed Hawk and Animal pose in the ring. The crowd were pretty pretty hot for this. Yeah. Well, they've always liked Ahmed, haven't they? You know, he's, he's been constantly over ever since we've had him on the on the show. To, to be fair, this is certainly a better opener than episode one. You prefer the match opening to the talking? Yes. Even if it's got Crush in it? Yeah. <laughs> Crush didn't really feature much. We go to the announcers who say there is a bit of controversy going on backstage as apparently the steel cage match we were promised last week for the WWF title might not be for the title. Wait, what? Well, this, this is brilliant because as they're talking about trying to clear up whether the cage match is for the title or not, there's a graphic that comes on basically saying it's a championship cage match at the same time. <laughs> like, brilliant timing. Lawler says that he has heard that Shawn Michaels is on his way to the arena tonight. Vince says that it isn't a rumour that Steve Austin is here. It's a fact. Yeah. Up next is Flash Funk versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Hunter Hearst Helmsley heads to the ring with Howard Finkel telling us he is accompanied by China. That woman now has a name. Excellent. The original idea for her gimmick name? Amazonian bionic muscle-bound woman. I bet it's got bionic in there somewhere because they talk about that a lot. Joan. Joan? Joan? Are you... Is it, is Fucking this, is this Joan? Just, is this just because it's quite similar to Joanna? Well, her name's Joni, isn't it? So. Oh, Joni, is that what, is that what yeah, I thought? Yeah, it's a jo- real name. Oh, OK. Joan? <laughs> it's not quite as intimidating. And out with Triple H's Joe. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad they dropped that. <laughs> Joan. <laughs> they might as well just call Ken Shamrock Kenneth. <laughs> oh, they should. As with Shamrock, we'll do a full introduction for China at WrestleMania. After another summary of her WWF career to date, we go to another break. 
Out next are Flash Funk and the Funkettes, who get a decent amount of pyro. The announcers discuss the Slammy Awards as Funk takes his time to get to the ring. He does Seriously, take his bloody time as well. They get a long entrance. The, the Flash Funk entrance is longer than a lot of matches on these two shows. In True. The, this is how they're planning to fill two hours, clearly. With Flash Funk's entrance. Having a half-hour entrance. China stares him down as Helmsley stands back. She eventually leaves the ring and we start the match. They lock up and Helmsley gets an arm drag and bows. But they, I've got to say, they, they also, I think, by this point, they've also talked about Miss Slammy. Is that a pop at Miss NWO? No, there's an actual Miss Slammy contest at the Slammies. Helmsley with a hammerlock before Flash Funk takes him down with an arm drag, a drop kick, and a clothesline to the outside. JR tells us that Flash Funk will be taking on Billy Gunn during the free-for-all at WrestleMania. Can't wait for that. Sadly, it's not on the DVD. Never mind. I could do without seeing any more Billy Gunn matches. Funk looks for a baseball slide, but Helmsley moves and Funk crashes. Back in the ring, Helmsley stomps on Funk before Funk fights back with chops and attempts a leapfrog with Helmsley clumsily dumping Funk to the mat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that... a, a fucked-up drop. Yeah. By the way, La Femme Nikita is up next, in okay. case you wondered. And, and does Vince find the leading lady attractive? I believe he so does. So she's hot. Okay. Uh, I remember La Femme Nikita was actually on British terrestrial television. Mm. Was it? I never watched it, but I definitely saw it advertised. I couldn't tell you what channel it was on. Maybe we should, maybe we should try and um, watch them a bit. Mm. Well, after you purchase Stripperella, there's room for more. What's yeah. that? Do you, do you not remember me talking about Stripperella? Oh, yeah, no, I do. don't tell, no, don't tell me again. But Vince I, also... I, I came across the episode where Vince is in it. Nice. He's a strip club owner. Nice. Pretty much is. Vin- <laughs> Vince does use the term pompicity. Pomposity? No, pompicity, he says. <laughs> I believe pomposity is what he was going for. Helmsley poses to booze and hits a knee off the second rope for a two. Helmsley and Funk exchange punches before Funk hits a back body drop and a clothesline. Funk hits a splash in the corner, a scoop slam and a leg drop before heading to the top rope to a mixed reaction. Funk hits a leg drop from the top rope for a two, nice. broken up when China grabs him by the ankle. From behind, Hunter hits a clumsy German suplex and heads to the top. He goes for a flying nothing, which Funk counters with a super kick. That's how you do that. Yeah. yeah. He didn't try and go for a frog splash. <laughs> Funk hits a side suplex and goes to the top once again. Before he can get there, China gets up on the apron and stops him. Helmsley grabs Funk from behind and hits the pedigree for the three count at 5.47. Helmsley and China kick away at Funk after the bell before leaving. As they do, we see Shawn Michaels arriving at the arena. See, I've, I'll be completely honest, I was a bit surprised by this. Really? Yes, because it's Syracuse. And I, and I did wonder, I was beginning to wonder if the whole, you know, fake retirement thing was just because he didn't want to go to Syracuse again. <laughs> they saw the Marines were waiting yeah. for him. The entire US Army. <laughs> Thoughts on the match? This one got a bit of time. It was less, in fact, it didn't have any interruptions? No. So is this the first match, apart from like the main event of the last one, that hasn't been interrupted in some way? That got interrupted. Mm. Well, is this our first match that hasn't been interrupted? Possibly. Mm. It was not great, not bad. It was what it was. And it was there to sell a bit more of China. Yeah, it was was just a bit filler, really. There was no reason for this match. I thought China had big reactions, though. Whenever she did something, there was a lot of interest from the crowd. Do you like the dynamic that they're playing up very early on here that Helmsley's going to hide behind her? I quite like that. It makes it, it... It's a nice cowardly dimension to his character it's also quite interesting that i think it's lawler makes the point that you know he used to have like 
to say like babe of the week or something yeah and now he's got a woman that's going to be much more useful to him in terms of furthering his career it's very very clever isn't it because mm. not only is because there's a lot of wrestlers that hide behind women mm. as a way of not getting hit but now he can hide behind the woman the woman's not going to get hit but she can hit the, the like, opponent back yeah doesn't Lawler also say something along the lines of i'm gonna tell her mcmahon that you said she's got a million dollar body and a 10, 10 cent, cent face, face. that, that yeah. is and Vince is like, I, I never said that i up next is a tag team match pitting Mini Mankind and Mini Vader against Masquerita Sagrada Jr. and Mini Goldust. What well, the, what but, the fuck but is Mini, all this about? Well, Mini Goldust is the biggest of all the minis, and Mascard, Mas, Masquerita. Masquerita. Sagrada. Sagrada. It's actually a five year old child. It is, is really Mini. Back from break and Vader's music is playing. Whoops, I'm sorry. It's Mini Vader and Mini Mankind. The thing is, when I was watching this, I heard Vader's music from a distance. Yeah. I mean, this 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 guy has the same body shape as Vader. I thought, oh, Vader's in the ring. And it goes in, oh, no, he's only about four foot tall. They, they should perhaps signify it by just playing a higher-pitched version of <laughs> yes, Vader's theme. Really yes, yeah, yeah, just pitch shift it up a few octaves. JR tells us that WrestleMania... Mini Mankind and Mini Vader will be facing Mini Owen Hart and Mini British Bulldog for the WWF Mini Tag Team titles. <laughs> Sadly, should... that's not a thing. No, I was going to say it should be. It should, should, should totally be. That... What, what is Vince's problem? With what? I'm struggling with talent. So instead of finding more talent, I'm just going to get mini versions of my existing talent. Genius. Well, fake versions work so well. <laughs> yeah. can, I, can I be honest? I really like this match. <laughs> Yeah, this match is actually quite good. Yes. But, like, why are they mini versions of people that he's already got? We should have totally, though, had a mini fake razor and a mini fake diesel. Yes. But it's brilliant as well. But you've got you've got three minis and then just this random other mini. Yes, it's like mini this other person, mini this person, mini this person, then this actual person of his own persona. Plus, you've also got Lawler asking where mini Marlena is. Yes, <laughs> they should have found a mini Marlena. Sign in the crowd. McMahon for US President. Which one? Oh my goodness, says Vince. <laughs> um, Linda McMahon for US Senator. We randomly cut to something about the WWF being able to appear in New Jersey, but we'll talk about that later in the summer. The Undertaker helps out. So it's like yeah. politicians standing and there. And then Undertaker. And then The Undertaker standing next to them. Who <laughs> was kind of a bit in character. Yeah, didn't he kind of give him some paper that's kind of shaped like tombstones? Mm. Weird. Mini Goldust actually looks like a child in makeup, making this very, very disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's... Yes. Mini Goldust and Mini Vader start, with Mini Vader dominating, hitting a big back body drop. Vince continues to hype Gorilla Monsoon, telling us whether the steel cage match will be for the WWF title or not. Mini Goldust fights back and Mini Vader bails before Mini Mankind enters. Mascarita Sagrada enters and hits a crossbody from the top rope and a head scissors to Mini Mankind, followed by a tilt-a-whirl arm drag and a wheelbarrow version. I've got to say, the crowd are popping for most of this. He then fakes out on a dive as the crowd pops until Mini Vader enters and boots him in the head. That is one of my favourite yeah. moves, probably of the entire podcast, actually. It, it looks, I tell you what, it looks a bit strange, though, just given the size difference between the two. It seems weird to talk about size difference in a mini yeah. match. But well, there is well, some are more mini than others. Yes. Mini Goldust tags in and hits a drop kick to Mini Vader, which sends him to the outside. Mini Goldust follows this up with a dive, which pops the crowd. JR tells us to call the superstar line to hear which WWF superstar was subjected to a strip search recently, with Lawler asking if it was Sonny. Do we know who it was? Henry Godwin. <laughs> JR says that Lawler's guess is close. 
In the ring, Mascarita Sagrada rolls up Mini Mankind for the pin to a pop at 257. He then avoids an attack from Mini Vader, who legs it up the ramp. Mascarita Sagrada follows and chucks Mini Vader off the stage before running and hitting a huge crossbody onto Mini Vader, which gets replayed after the break. Yeah, that was dead good. That that was a real kind of oh my gosh moment. This match was incredibly silly. But really the, good. The, the, the concept of just having smaller versions of existing talent I find completely bemusing. But it was actually quite good fun. That dive at the end. The, now, the, the bit that really was the kind of crowning glory to this match is that he does that amazing dive and then just gets led away like a little child. He does save by one of the rest, doesn't he? standing by Gorilla Monsoon. President of the World Wrestling Federation, hoping to clear up these rumors. Gorilla, we thank you very much for joining us. We had a meeting in New Jersey earlier today. Will this or will this not be for the World Wrestling Federation Championship, this cage match tonight? Providence, I had no intention of being here tonight. I have so much work to do. But there's so many rumors going around, so many guys expressing their own opinion. I'm going to tell you fact, exactly what the situation is. I made this match quite a while ago, made the steel cage match, and promised everyone that I would give Bret Hart the opportunity he so richly deserves, being a four-time former champion here in the World Wrestling Federation. Bret has been unhappy. Bret's been complaining. I know The Undertaker's not happy. The timing stinks. But as of this moment in time, the steel cage match here tonight is for the World Wrestling Federation title. All right, however, let me ask you, and surely it's nice to have a championship match on Raw. But isn't it true that a number of Undertaker fans, I mean, just, you were barraged by Undertaker fans telling you that this was unfair? Well, it's not unfair when you really think about it, because how many times has Bret Hart come up on the short end of the stick? Well, how many times has Bret Hart... Uh, used as much influence as he right, possibly can. Right. Let's put it that way. Let me oh, say, how many certainly... times has he whined and cried to you and you buckled under the pressure of Brett the Hitman Hart? I can't believe it, Monsoon. Well, it's not exactly the way you put it uh, in perspective, but it was my decision. I made it. The steel cage match here tonight will be for the title. Brett deserves it. He's going to get that opportunity, whether you like it or anybody else likes it. All right, it. thank you very much. Gorilla Monsoon, no doubt, with an opinion, ladies and gentlemen. Standing by backstage is Gorilla Monsoon. Vince asks him if the cage match will be for the WWF title. Gorilla says it is. What was the point in all that then? There, there, there was no point. <laughs> Vince asks Gorilla about being barraged by Undertaker fans saying this match was unfair. Gorilla says it's his decision, he made it, and Brett deserves the title shot. All right. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, really, what was the point in it? Mm. It lasted about 45 minutes as an entire storyline. Yeah. It might not be a title match. Yes, it is. The end. <laughs> Where's well, the twist? It, it's not a classic. I don't know. Someone obviously had that idea to make it a bit more interesting, even though it didn't. Oh, is this the bit where, as well, he goes, how many times does Bret Hart... Uh... Did you notice that? <laughs> <laughs> he does that. Like, he's talking about like how many times has he been kind of duped or screwed over or whatever. Bret Hart announced me by World Wrestling Federation President Gorilla Monsoon. And in just a little while, the eyes of the entire world will be focused right on you. It really is an unprecedented situation. Not only are you staring right down the battle, right down the barrel rather, at a battle this Sunday at WrestleMania 13, a submission match against Stone Cold Steve Austin, but what about the opportunity you lobbied long and hard for? I wanted to get your thoughts. What's it going to feel like tonight if you could become five times World Wrestling Federation Champion? 
to change the face of WrestleMania 13. Well, I just want to say that I'm appreciative of Gorilla Monsoon for looking at the thing a little closer because, uh, frankly, I don't really care what anybody thinks. I won the Royal Rumble. I won the Final Four. I'm a four-time World Wrestling Federation champion. And I think that I deserve a little respect around here. No question of, uh, no question of that, although there seems know, to be. I know that The Undertaker's not too thrilled about it, but there's kind of a new motto in the World Wrestling Federation. You scratch my back and I'll stab yours. And The Undertaker might not be too, too thrilled about it, you know, after I win and I will win the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt for a fifth time. The Undertaker need not worry, because I'll give him his shot and he can get in line with the rest of them. Now, after I change the face of WrestleMania 13, and I step in the ring with that lousy, stinking hyena, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hey, watch your mouth. Stone Cold's here, you know. Stone Cold Steve Austin is in for the worst thrashing of his entire life. I'm going to take all those collected moments of Stone Cold Steve Austin, every time he's jumped me from behind, every time he's stabbed me in the back, every time he's cost me one match after another, he won't be able to scream loud enough the words, I give in a submission match. And I just want to say the fact that Ken Shamrock is going to be refereeing this thing, I respect that, I gotta respect this guy's reputation. And I just hope that he calls it down the middle. And I just hope he gets nice and close so he can hear those magic words, I quit. From you. WrestleMania 13, I will be the fifth time World Wrestling Federation champion tonight. And we'll be looking at a nice, long, healthy run, and everybody can get in line because they all get a chance to prove themselves against the excellence of execution. The best there is, the best there was, and without a shadow of a doubt, the best there ever will be. Thank you very much. Kevin Kelly welcomes Brett the Hitman Hart into the ring. Yeah, weird to see Kevin Kelly. He, we've seen him before. Yeah, but like we've not seen him in the middle of the ring doing that kind of bit. Like I no. should be JR, it feels like. Did you notice... As Brett enters, we see a sign in the crowd that says, same five moves. No, no, I didn't. I did. Kevin <laughs> Kelly gets the words battle and barrel messed up. Yes, battle barrel. Brett says he'll change the face of WrestleMania 13 and appreciates what Gorilla Monsoon has done. He says he deserves a bit of respect around here as the crowd gives a mixed reaction. Brett says there's a new motto in the WWF, you scratch my back and I'll stab yours. Brett says when he wins, and he will win, he'll give The Undertaker his title shot. Brett addresses Steve Austin and Ken Shamrock before leaving, with Vince acknowledging Brett's checkered response. Mm. Are you noticing a marked change in Brett as a character? Yeah, he's way better. He's pissed off, constantly pissed off. I quite like it. You want a marketing idea? You want to sell product? 
The name of the game is hats. Black hats. Now this is going to sell Howard Finkel's greatest ring announcements. It's a horsehair toupee and a headset all in one. All right, what better way to feel the heat of WrestleMania 13? And with this hockey jersey, man, this thing is the daddy. Daddy, feel it with this WrestleMania 13 denim jacket. And now both items can be yours. Feel the real heat of WrestleMania 13 with a customized hockey jersey for just $69.99. Or the official WrestleMania 13 denim jacket for $99 plus shipping and handling. Don't be left out in the cold. Order now. Hey, Adam, the shirt, imagine your hair. We go to a high-powered WWF marketing meeting, which turns out to be an advert for the WrestleMania 13 hockey jersey, only $69.99. Well, this is amazing. I like the other products they suggested as well. Well, yeah, I actually thought Vince might be selling toupees for a second. Yes. With a headset sewn into it. Who was selling what? Finkel was selling something. Uh, JL was selling the hat, wasn't he? His greatest ring announcements. That was it. It was like a VHS, wasn't (laughs) it? Yeah. It's good to see how stupid VHS is looking in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, physical media's kind of died a death. Mm. Our next bout is the Sultan versus Mike Bell. Mike Bell? Is this not the guy that Perry Saturn really battered that time? I don't know. I swear it's this guy that Perry Saturn just kicked his head in on an episode of, like, Metal or something. Mike Bell. Mike Bell. You, you mean kicked uh, as like a shoot kicked? His yeah, head. yeah. Like Mike Bell like fucks up a move, so Perry Saturn decks him. Okay, I'm so sure he's getting loads guy. of trouble over that. Probably, and you get the mop because of that. Possibly. Rocky Maivia walks down the ramp dressed sports casual style to join yeah. the announce team. Lawler isn't pleased with this. The Sultan enters with Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik. Bob, of course, is screaming as he walks down the ramp, and Sheiky waves his flag. Sultan gets small pyro. Yeah, he does. Mm. He's big news. Odd choice to give Pyro to. Yeah. Vince plugs the steel cage match later tonight as Sultan disrobes and attacks Mike Bell. He hits a big kick and a devastating-looking pile driver before heading to the top rope. The pile driver was fearsomely good. Sultan hits a big splash and applies the camel clutch for the win. The end. The match wasn't a match. Did Rocky actually get to say anything on commentary? No. I've got to say, Rock didn't ooze charisma in this, did he? Well, Sultan stares Rocky down before leaving the ring to confront the Intercontinental Champion. Did you spot here, Iron Sheik calls Rocky a jabroni? Does he? Yes. But I thought in this little bit where Rock stands up, he showed the first glimmers of charisma. Yeah, I'd say that there was a bit more of a character there. Well, I've got to say, he seemed calm and kept it together. He didn't look nervous or shaky. But, you know, he was just giving, during the announcing section, when he was asked a question, he was just giving almost like, not factual responses, but... But um, Straight-laced. Yeah. Before a fight can break out, Tony Atlas and his massive, massive arms emerge from the crowd to calm (laughs) things down. This was weird, because he just happened to be quite near rock again in the crowd. Some might say it was almost planned. Like, I could believe it if somebody said that. Is this something that goes forward? Is Tony Atlas now going to be hanging out with... With Rocky for a bit? Not really. Oh. It's not like a Jose Lothario thing, thankfully. Tony Atlas would be way better than Jose Lothario. Can you smell what Tony's cooking? Everything, according to Legends House. What? You never watched Legends House? It's really, really boring. But one thing I did get from it is that Tony Atlas eats everything. Okay. And he's got a massive foot fetish. Yeah. (laughs) And the best laugh in the world. But I've got to say, the amount of Vince laughs on this show's... Yeah, is is off the charts. As the first hour ends, we see Shawn Michaels standing backstage, smiling. It's back. He's found it. Whee! 
Hour two begins with another replay of the intro. JR is taking the lead before Shawn Michaels' music hits and Vince introduces him to the ring. He pulls stupid faces on his way down the ramp. I've got to say, I think he looks pretty well. He's doing all right. He certainly doesn't look like someone that's been retired through ill health. JR tells us that whether we like Shawn Michaels or not, we have to admit he's a hell of an athlete and a franchise player. Mm. Yeah. Vince seems happy, as do several women in the crowd. They're not lookers. I, I thought all the, all the adoring women of Shawn Michaels were a bit rough. There was one that looked like a slightly worse version of Molly Ringwald. <laughs> Lawless says that Michaels might be here to announce his retirement, but didn't he basically do that about five weeks ago? Yes. sent them straight to my parents' address. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because it means a great deal to me, especially at a time when I thought there wasn't anybody out there that gave a damn about Shawn Michaels. Well, certainly. I'm surprised it's been Nothing could be further from the truth. All right, Shawn Michaels, the prognosis on the physical condition on the knee. Yeah, here it comes. And of course, it seems like you're a trendsetter. I mean, of course, other superstars have followed, unfortunately, with knee injuries. And then again, the President of the United States just slides right there on your coattails. Well, if, not, if nothing else, I always try to do what's in. And so when, once the President messed his knee up, I felt like I had to do it too. But uh, on a more serious note, the knee. It's coming along. Uh, next week, I'm going to go out to Birmingham and see Dr. Andrews, and he'll let me know what's going on. And hopefully, uh, within a couple of months, I will be in this ring once again, whether anybody likes it or not. Rat. <laughs> I think they like it. And I have to tell you, this time off has done wonders for me. And I know there are a lot of people 
I don't like it. But when I get back in here, I'm going to be busting and moving like I used to. And believe me, when I get in here, the clothes are coming off one way or another. <laughs> that girl's losing control of all her bodily functions. But I do have somewhat of a bone to pick. But not with the fans. I have to pick it with you. Uh-oh. Now, after all the years that I have been here, working, going up and down the road, everything I have done for you and the World Wrestling Federation, I sit at home, and I couldn't help but to notice that WrestleMania is right around the corner. This Sunday now, on pay-per-view. There I sat in my home just waiting for that phone to ring, and it never rang once. Now, WrestleMania is coming right up, and I just can't see how you and the fans of the World Wrestling Federation can have a WrestleMania without inviting Shawn Michaels. I agree with that. First of all, Shawn Michaels' phone doesn't ring. Well, you do have an injury. I mean, you know. Right. Well, You're as camp. you can see, I can now walk. So what I'm going to do, since you didn't invite me, I'm going to have to come out here on live television and invite myself to uh, WrestleMania. No! I'm sure Sean will be at the Slammys on Friday night. And just so you know, not only am I coming to WrestleMania, but I'm coming and I'm going to sit right next to you, Vin Man, and make sure that you call that World Wrestling Federation title match right down the middle. Thank you very much. We look forward to it. Well, I, I don't. Also, there was no invitation for the Slammy Awards. And I couldn't help but to notice I am up for a couple of those awards. Now, I'm building a brand new home in San Antonio, and I have got a whole lot of face to spill. Face to spill? Space to fill? Is that, the, right? is that the word I'm looking for? Or space too to much fill. time off. You, don't, you can't do this too well first time back. I've got a lot of space to fill in my home. I've got all the Slammy Awards from last year, but I need some more so the fans of the World Wrestling Federation and you, Vin Man, get ready because WrestleMania weekend isn't complete without the Heartbreak Kid, and he is on his way. Sean says the fan reaction helps him find that smile he was looking for a month ago. Apparently, he left it at home in San Antonio, and he's decided to bring it with him wherever he goes. Sean thanks the fans for their letters and well wishes and for being patient with the world's most emotional wrestler. Another great gimmick. <laughs> the world's most emotional wrestler, yeah. Shawn Michaels. But like, you know, Mark Henry is the world's strongest man, the world's most emotional man. He talks about being hard to deal with before Vince asks him about his knee. Sean says he'll be back in the ring in a couple of months. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I think Sean comes across as a considerate carrying man here. <laughs> I think he was a bit a bit of a bellend. Really? Uh, no, I think during this first section, he actually comes across as all right. It's when he invites himself to WrestleMania. <laughs> well, Sean says he has a bone to pick with Vince, while Vince looks like a blushing teenage girl. Vince is gushing for the whole of this segment. Like, I think the reason the sort of camera shot is quite close and sort of upper body is that Vince actually has a full-on <laughs> erection while this is going on. 
Sean says Vince hasn't invited him to WrestleMania, so Sean's going to invite himself and he's going to sit right next to Vince during the title match. Oh, and I'm going to turn up at the Slammies as well. Yeah. Fuck you. And, and, he, and he just calls him Vin Man. My knee's fine. Vin and Man. And I've got my smile. Vin Man. So I'm back. Vin Man. <laughs> so, yeah, that retirement lasted quite some time. Yeah. Glad to see him back. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's tending to make me feel that maybe he's, there wasn't anything wrong with his knee. <laughs> and, and, and he really just didn't want to lose the title to Brett. So so he went and and had a, had a fortnight back at his house, found his smile, and then just came back. There was a good man on the grassy knoll, Adam. <laughs> I, I think he... It's quite nice that he references his smile again, a bit tongue in cheek. Yeah, but do you not think that's like just a like a massive like kick in the nuts of everyone backstage that he's just fucked up all the WrestleMania plans because of that bullshit smile knee thing? Yeah, and then he just back. comes back and's like, <laughs> found my smile, found my smile, hey. the knee's all right. Well, I don't know. So, what what actually in WrestleMania terms, what actually changes because of this? Well, the match was scheduled to be Brett versus Sean. Oh, okay, so so okay, so I thought you meant to kind of change to the current plans. No, 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 no. Okay, no. with you. No, because everything that we've seen really involving the belts had to have been sort of ad hoc made up because he lost his smile and then gave up the belt. Backstage, the Undertaker angrily rattles the not at all set up cage. You <laughs> just damn yeah. this cage. Yeah, push it down a bit. Another match. This one's got some decent people in it. It's the British Bulldog versus Vader. Back from break, and Mini Vader's music plays. Oh, wait, this time it's regular Vader. M- M- Maxi Vader. With regular Mankind and regular Paul Bearer. Or large Paul Bearer. <laughs> Davy Boy Smith heads to the ring with Owen Hart, their belts, and Slammies in tow. Bulldog and Vader lock up with Vader backing Bulldog away. Another lock up and the same result. A third, and Vader backs Davy into the corner, hitting punches as the crowd chants Bulldog. Stiff as you like. He gives him a really good punching. I've got to say, I, I was really impressed by a few things in this match. Yeah. Vader hits an avalanche splash and clotheslines Davy, but Davy stays up. Bulldog tries shoulder blocks on Vader, which don't work, but a diving one does. A big clothesline from Davy also takes Vader down. Bulldog hits his big vertical suplex to Vader for a pop before he clotheslines Vader to the outside. Yeah. Seriously, how does he do that? A stalling vertical suplex on a 450-pound man. Impressive. Yeah, strong as you like. But not just strong. That's strong. It's also technique and it's balance and it's timing. It's, yeah. It's everything. To, to it, do that, you, oh, that's, to even try that on a live show, fair play to the guy. Yeah, as far as an impressive display of, of talent, that's yeah. quite amazing. Mankind helps him regroup as we go to break. When we return, Vader splashes Bulldog from the second rope. Davy looks for a sunset flip, which Vader threatens to sit down on, but Davy moves. That's good Thank job goodness. He did. Yeah. Davy looks for a crucifix, but Vader sits down on that one, which works out less well for the Well, I've got to say, again, that looked like a really cool little move, and, and this is a really nice little match. Vader hits a splash for the two count, but the Bulldog kicks out. Vader hits his avalanche attack from the second rope, but Bulldog catches him on a second attempt with a yeah. power slam. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah. yeah. Bulldog hits clotheslines and catches Vader on a charge in the corner, slamming Vader to the canvas. In all seriousness, they do talk about Bulldog perhaps being the strongest man in the company. This seems to be legitimately true after this. Yeah, I'd go along with that. Yeah. Bulldog looks for the running power slam, but Mankind gets up on the apron and grabs Vader's leg. 
Owen joins him and the referee throws the match out at eight minutes as Davy saves Owen from an attack by Mankind and Vader, clocking their WrestleMania opponents as well as Paul Bearer to a pop. It's a shame about the bullshit finish to it, yeah. but I thought this was really quite good. I thought I thought Vader was dead good. I thought the Bulldog was fucking amazing. Cricket should do a feud based on the urn. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a big pop for whacking Paul Bearer. It was a big pop, yeah. This... If Marlena hit Paul Bearer, I reckon <laughs> it'd have just been nuclear. <laughs> While the LOD stood around in the background. <laughs> More of this. Yeah, this was good. This is what, what they should do in, in these two-hour rules. I've got more of this for you. It's Billy Gunn versus Aaron Ferguson. Who is Aaron Ferguson? No idea. Who is Billy Gunn? <laughs> <laughs> Ken Shamrock heads down the ramp to join the announce team before Billy Gunn's music hits and he strolls down to the ring. Dark blue jeans this week, not black. Probably been to the gap. Billy has words with Shamrock, with Ken suggesting he best focuses on his opponent. Billy Gunn, for some reason, starts with submissions, applying a leg bar and an abdominal stretch with extra leverage. It's Billy... the world's shortest abdominal stretch. Billy hits a scoop slam and breaks his pinfall attempt with an armbar for the win by submission. That's the end of that. Uh, yeah. And Ken Shamrock says, nice armbar, but I thought, shit armbar. He doesn't look impressed either. He says he's impressed, but he doesn't look it. No. Billy decides to confront Ken post-match, saying Shamrock doesn't look tough to him. Be better off fighting your brother, mate, and I don't fancy your chances yeah. there. <laughs> Shamrock stands up, which gets a pop. He calls Billy Gunn a chump, which is a great choice of words, <laughs> yes. especially in reference to Billy Gunn. Vince says Ken doesn't have his fighting clothes on, which is just a really clumsy way of saying something different. He's got quite a nice T-shirt on. Ken enters the ring and quickly takes Billy down in an armbar. Ken lets go, and Billy claims, you can't do that twice. He doesn't. Instead, he applies an ankle lock and Billy quickly taps. Billy grabs a steel chair, but the referee holds him back from using it and Billy backs up the ramp, telling Ken they're going to get it on. Lovely. Shamrock made Billy Gunn look like a right twat. Like a chump. Yeah. It's not hard. So uh, I I don't approve of Billy Gunn being on television, but for this purpose, maybe it was all right. I've got to say, this is a better use of a jobber match. At least it's a bit different to what we've seen before. And the stuff with Ken Shamrock getting in the ring and putting those couple of moves on was genuinely interesting. Hmm. Did you notice by this point there's kind of less of those cutaways this week? Yeah. Yeah, maybe they got some bad feedback about that. Yeah, it was too sort of ADHD, especially that first week, Hmm. like two or three cutaways per match. Okay, we had it in the opener with the Nation of Domination and Ahmed and stuff, but... That at least was cutaways to stuff to do with the match, as opposed to it made more here's sense. Brian Pillman, here's Sonny in the middle of something yeah. completely unrelated to them. No doubt, ladies and gentlemen, Ken Shamrock is going to have his eyes not on Billy Gunn, but on his eyes on that man right there. Joining us right now, live, oh, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Mr. Austin, you must be very impressed with what you just saw. I ain't impressed with a damn thing because Billy Gunn just got through with a brutal match and Ken Shamrock went out there and tried to take advantage of him. Right. I want to know what the hell is so impressive about that. What the thing is with Ken Shamrock is he doesn't even belong here because the WWF is Stone Cold's place. All he did was get in a couple of street fights and someone had a little video camera and filmed him so all of a sudden he's a big star. He's overrated and he's a big piece of trash. All right, come One on now. One of these days, shut up. 
One of these days, me and Kid Shamrock will square off, and I'll beat the hell out of him. Ooh. As far as I'm concerned, all he's got to do is call the match like he sees it. All right, okay. If he sticks his nose in, I'll punch his lights out. Why are you here? That's the question. Why are you here? And it seems to me that, well, you must be delighted with Mr. Monsoon's decision that we will have a title match in the cage tonight. Uh, questions why I'm here is a question that Jackass would ask, son, because ah. I am the king of the ring. No one can tell me that I can't be here. When you set up a ring, I am supposed to be here because it's my job. you damn right I'm happy Bret Hart's got the title shot. And by hook or by crook, going into WrestleMania, he will be the champion. And it's all going to be on the line. And when WrestleMania is over, you're looking at the new champion. What do you mean by that? Because Bret Hart never won the Royal Rumble. I won the Royal Rumble. Right. I was supposed to go into WrestleMania anyway. Right. The Final Four, the only reason he won, because I was crippled and I was sick. Right. And I'm a damn lot better now. Bret Hart on his best day can't lace my boots. And I'm going to prove that to the world. And I will. I will beat the hell out of Brett, and that's the bottom line, because you're looking at the new champ. Testify! All right, thank you very much. Yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin, ladies and gentlemen, joining us. Steve Austin is stood by backstage. Now, I've got to say, he, I think he tells one of the biggest lies I've ever heard. <laughs> he isn't impressed with Ken Shamrock, saying Billy Gunn had just had a brutal match. That's what I mean. <laughs> Austin says Shamrock is overrated and a big piece of trash. Austin says Shamrock needs to call the match as he sees it, or he's going to punch his lights out. Austin calls Vince a jackass and says he's pleased Brett has the title shot tonight. Uh, that's brilliant, though, isn't it? Because doesn't Vince ask the question, what are you doing here tonight? And <laughs> he says, what am I doing here tonight? It's the sort of question a jackass would ask. I'm supposed to be here, it's my job. <laughs> I get paid to be here, what do you think of it? It, it was good. It was good. It was, it, yeah, it was good. Promos like this, it's kind of easy to see how the Austin character got so over because he yeah. just takes no shit from anyone. And it's it's been done live and he doesn't really stumble over his words. He's pretty good yeah. at doing a genuinely intense promo at a decent pace without fucking up. Bit Cornette-esque. Yeah. He's not quite that crazy, but... You could, you could say Cornette-esque or you could say Cornetto. Psycho Sid, are you ready for Brett the Hitman Hart? I am always ready, Miss McMahon, and you, Stone Cold Steve Austin, be ready to keep your ass out of my business, because I know why you're here, and you would have to be a complete idiot to have to know what you're up to. But tonight, I am going to take Bret Hart, and I am going to powerbomb him right to the floor, and I will walk out the World Wrestling Federation champion. One reason why? Because I am the man... And I am the master, and I am the ruler of the world. Thank you very much. A man with a mullet sets up the cage as Vince throws to an interview with Shouty Shouty Sid. This was genius. No, no, it wasn't. Yes, it was. I'll tell you why in a minute. <laughs> he shouts that Austin needs to stay out of his business, and Sid says he will powerbomb Brett right to the floor. In which case he'll lose the match, because Brett will be on the floor first. <laughs> <laughs> I think I really like this one for the fact that you know, it cuts to Sid. He's just kind of looking nonchalant around. And then as soon as he gets his cue to say something, he just flips into being ultra-aggressive. I like that. Is this the one where, like, water's actually dripping off his face, or is that the earlier one? D does he just sweat a lot, or does he pour a bucket of water over his head before he does anything? It's time for our main event. 
It's Sid versus Bret the Hitman Hart in a steel cage match for the WWF title. I have heard rumours it's not for the WWF title. It, it is, though. It turns out it is. Yeah. yeah. Vince, JR and Jerry Lawler kill time by breaking down the cage match, discussing The Undertaker and Steve Austin being in the building. Bret Hart's music hits and the Hitman heads to the ring as Pyro goes off. He gets a pretty big pop coming through the curtain, Mm -hmm. considering his mixed reaction for his promo earlier. Sid follows to another big pop, getting his Pyro, despite my feeling that the cage might prevent it. Mm. Sid and Bret lock up to open and Bret backs Sid into the corner, hammering away at Sid's midsection, taking the champion down to the mat. Sid fires back with punches as Steve Austin watches on backstage. Brett hits a snapmare and an elbow drop before attempting to climb the cage. Sid grabs Brett by the ankle and brings Brett back into the ring. Sid hammers away at Brett and grabs the hitman, holding him across his chest to ram Brett into the cage. It's nice. Sid attempts to leave, but Brett wakes up and grabs Sid by the ankle. Brett climbs up to the top rope to exchange fists with Sid, but Sid gets the advantage. Sid, from the top rope, kicks away at Brett before coming back into the cage. Brett punches Sid from the top rope and rams Sid into the buckle before hitting a headbutt to Sid's lower back. Brett tries another escape, but Sid slams him off the top. Sid looks to escape out the door, but Steve Austin appears at ringside to close it as we go to break. It's a bit of a funny match, this, in a a way, that all of that first bit, I kind of felt that they should have given it longer, yet, to some extent, you are just waiting for the interference. Yeah. So it's a bit of a tough call, I think. When we return, Austin is prowling ringside as Brett hammers away at Sid's lower back. Sid reverses a Brett Irish whip and hits his powerbomb to a mixed reaction. Sid looks to climb out of the cage, but Austin climbs up from the outside, hammering away at Sid to a pop. But he climbs up in a weird place. With the, with the way that Sid was climbing out, he should have gone more around the ring. He kind of almost had to climb diagonally. Sid fights back, but Austin remains in charge. Bret Hart climbs the cage and joins Austin in attacking Sid at the top of the cage, and Vince makes a big deal of Bret and Austin being on the same side. The Undertaker runs down to the ring and climbs the cage also, attacking Bret and Austin. Austin slides down the cage, and Bret hits a superplex to bring Sid back into the ring. That little funny slide out is, is like, it was a bit comedy-esque. There's the episode of The Simpsons where Bart's going to do that sk- skateboard jump across that canyon canyon and then homer does it instead and just like you know like it just like knocks down yeah the cliff that just reminded me of that so just kind of like seemed to bump down every bit but also pretty good superplex on sid yes yeah. it really was steve austin grabs a chair and hits the undertaker around the back of the head <laughs> sid attempts another escape of the cage over the top as brett looks to leave via the door until the undertaker slams the door shut on the hitman and sid drops to the floor winning the match at 740 sid banks up the ramp with his title belt as vince hypes the wwf title match at wrestlemania in the ring brett hart drags himself to his feet as we go to commercial short match especially for mm. a heavily hyped wwf title cage match for, yes. for, yeah for, for a gimmicked match with the title on the line I thought that it would have been given a lot more time. But, yeah, I think Paul's hit the nail on the yeah, head with the, you, are, you are just waiting for interference. Yeah, so... But they, they could have done a better job by just making the action at the start a bit more snappy, I think. Sometimes Sid struggles to do things snappy, maybe. He can do it, though. He can, he, he can do it. He mm. doesn't always, but he can. It's, it's interesting, though, because I quite like the concept here. I think there are quite a lot of options going into it and there is a reasonable sense of logic about, yes, this is what 
Brett would want to happen, this is what Sid would want to happen, this is what Taker wants to happen, this is what Austin wants to happen. It kind of plays out quite nicely in that sense, to, to kind of elevate everyone. I quite like the, the image of it, of Sid trying to climb out, and Austin and Brett, who hate each other, like both attacking him, and, you know, for completely different reasons, really. Obviously, Brett wants to win the title, but Austin wants Brett to have the title so that he can beat Brett. Yeah. I thought that was quite cool. So you're okay with the interference in this context, in that, yeah, there was logical reasons. Yeah, the yeah. interference made sense, and it, from the actions that have played up to it, it was definitely going to happen. Following the WWF Rewind, which this time happened approximately two minutes ago, <laughs> we go back to Bret Hart in the ring with Vince McMahon and a slightly dismantled cage. And we're back here, ladies and gentlemen, a few more moments here with you. Vince McMahon is going to try to talk to a very, obviously, uh, this consonant Bret Hart. Extremely frustrated over what has just happened. Whoa! Frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it! This is bullshit! Oh, we apologize, man. You screw me! Everybody screws me! And nobody does a goddamn thing about it! Nobody in the building cares! Nobody in the dressing room cares! So much goddamn injustice around here! I've had it up to here! We apologize, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody knows it. I know it. Everybody knows it. I should be the World Wrestling Federation champion. Get him out of the ring. Everybody just keeps turning a blind eye. You keep turning a blind eye to it. I got that gorilla monsoon. He turns a blind eye to it. Everybody in that goddamn dressing room knows that I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Cut him off. If you don't like it, tough shit. Well, obviously, we got... Uh, my I... ass, Brett. All you want to do anytime you go in the ring is cry like a baby. I tried to go out there and help you, and you threw it all away because you're a loser. It could have been you and me for the championship at WrestleMania, but you blew the whole damn thing because you're a loser. You know why they call you, you Stone Cold? Because your stones are so cold. Your stones, you won't come out here You're and step in the ring with me yourself. You always got to jump in from behind. You don't got the guts to come out here. Come on. Everybody knows whether it's Psycho Sid. Ladies and gentlemen, we apologize for the actions of Red Hart. You that that belt belongs to you. You are wrong. That is my belt. You know We're going to try and stay with this as long as we can. Red Hart, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, this is completely is. out of control, McMahon. Yeah, I know that. Vince asks Brett if he's frustrated, to which Brett responds by knocking Vince on his ass, telling him that frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it. This is bullshit. Mm. It's getting a bit real, isn't it? Brett is pissed, saying everyone screws him and that everyone knows he should be the WWF champion. Vince doesn't look happy. Brett tells anyone in the crowd who doesn't like it, tough shit. He's got a bit of a potty mouth coming on. <laughs> Steve Austin interrupts from the Titantron and tells Brett he tried to help him, but he blew it because he's a loser. Brett tells <laughs> Austin he doesn't have the guts to face him in the ring. Brett says Sid knows he should be the WWF champion, and when Sid strolls back down to the ring, Sid tells Brett, I don't know shit, crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> Never a truer word spoken. <laughs> the Undertaker walks to the ring where Brett dives onto him. Steve Austin runs down and attacks the hitman as Sid and The Undertaker get into a scrap. 
Taker attacks any referees that try and break he and Sid up. Vince laments Brett's behaviour on commentary and Brett decks Pat Patterson on the ramp mm. with Vince stopping short of calling Brett a son of a bitch. Brett attempts to choke Austin as Sid and Taker try to choke slam each other in the ring. Shawn Michaels appears at the top of the ramp, looking on as Brett back body drops Austin on the ramp. JR asks what will be left of these men at WrestleMania on Sunday. Shawn strolls past Brett and Austin as Taker and Sid leave the ring. Shawn grabs a chair as the show goes off the air. It, now, this was slightly weird at the end because the ending was kind of uh, fairly nuclear, I thought, in terms of crowd reaction. I thought, thought it was very positive. But there's a couple of bits, and I think it almost have been better just to end with just Shawn Michaels appearing at the top of the rampway. And, yeah, because it's just a bit weird. Because he just kind of saunters past he like, doesn't really a couple do of guys anything, on the rampway, he? gets into the ring, gets out of the ring, gets a chair, gets, but he does nothing with it. Like, it was just weird. It was just like. He was there for the sake of being there. And isn't that a bit shitty in some ways, that he kind of walked out of the current state of affairs and left these four to be kind of carrying it at the top and they're in the middle of this storyline and then Sean just wanders out as the last person, you know, becoming a player in that storyline. That's Sean, though. He's the straw that stirs the drink. Yeah, it's, it's a bit shitty, though. Oh no! I've got, I've got to say, don't have a problem with it at all. Mm. I, I think it almost makes sense that you've got this mayhem going on. And you kind of think, what's the one thing that's going to add an extra dimension to this? Kind of, if you if you're then thinking, what's going to happen post WrestleMania? Because you know we've got the matches set up for that. You think, okay, the thing that could kind of make this an, a little bit more interesting and lead somewhere in the future actually is John Michaels coming yeah, down. I don't I, have a problem with that. But he should have been part of it anyway. And he chose not to be part of it. Yeah, you can you can have that argument, but I think it's a slightly different argument. I think that's a bit of an argument about almost like Shawn Michaels as a person, rather than thinking. Yes, it is. Rather than thinking, well, what would make this storyline richer? And I think it does make it richer. But let's not skip past this Brett promo. Oh no, no, it's brilliant. It's uh, and you, you know, you, you talk about almost. It's almost like. Would you say it's perhaps the defining word in the resurgence of wrestling? Attitude? Yeah. And and that, for me, is, is just a de- very definite choice and tone that's being set now. Yeah, I mean, this is a hell of an, hell of an interview, isn't it? Like, yeah. And, and you've, you've got to think, for five years, pretty much his entire singles run, Bret Hart has been the clean-cut babyface. Mm. And to then just cut this very sort of... It looks... And, and this is just such a dangerous term to use when you start getting into this era, but you find yourself using it more and more. It looks and feels unscripted. Mm. And it obviously isn't in, in any way whatsoever. You know, it's there's a design of what Brett's out there to do. And it's, you know, it's designed to add an edge to his character and further where his character goes. But boy, do you believe it? Yeah. Like, and, and it's not as long and intense as a lot of other really great promos but just those two or three lines and this might just be me speaking as you know number one Bret Hart fanboy but just those those few lines of frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it this is bullshit if you don't like it tough shit but again it's it's also what makes this so powerful is the contrast to his previous character yeah and and there has been a bit of a gradual development in this. It's not like this has just been... Out of the blue. Yeah, a kind of a switch overnight. There's mm. been a bit of a build-up, and you can kind of see he's been building to this, 
you know, snapping point, breaking point. So I think this is very cleverly done. So do you follow along with the story arc for the character? you think it's logical where he's going, given the series of events he's been through? Yeah, I did think he contradicted himself. I think it was on the end of the previous show's promo where he's or partway through he's talking about nobody helps me he's like Gorilla Monsoon helped you out to be fair with the title shot so but I don't think he sees that as being helped he sees that as he's he's entitled to that yeah fair enough especially Um, his previous champion as well he should be entitled to a rematch yeah okay Austin's tried to help him out in in a very different kind (laughs) of way yeah I think it, it it makes it makes sense really he's not had if you think just kind of loosely about his whole time that we've seen on the podcast he hasn't really had the easiest of runs, has he? In terms of his character, he's always tried to do the upstanding thing and he's always been sort of, I mean, there was a whole, you know, there's the Owen like feud that he went into and he's, he's had like Lawler constantly jibing at him for the last three and a half years and he's always tried to play the straight lace one to it but always yeah. gets sort of like knocked along the way and yeah, this makes kind of sense as he's finally just had enough of it, like being the nice guy didn't really work so now he's not going to be that. But I also think it's good. It's a good time for its change. With I don't think you could have had Brett's old character stay like this against Austin is as a character a- where he is now. I just don't think it would have worked. It would have just been bulldozed over. It seemed like. Is there any sort of like hint of an influence from Hogan's turn? H- Hogan was a babyface, and then he turned, and it's worked really well in that company. If there is, it's more in terms of. The, the shades of grey type of stuff in that I guess in WCW the NWO are the heels but they've got a lot of fans yeah. whereas in the WWF you've got you know Sean was the big baby face but he's getting a mixed reaction Austin was the big heel but he's leaning towards yeah. face and you know we've seen Sid sort of tread that line and I'd kind of forgotten that going into WrestleMania 13 like I don't think Sid's really portrayed as a heel mm. like he had the stuff with Sean in January where they tried to kind of get him a bit more heel again. But I think since then, he's kind of flopped back over into more on the face side. You know, there's not a major, major issue between him and Taker. I mean, this is the go-home show for WrestleMania. Mm. There's no major, major problem between the two of them. I'd say Sid veers more on the face line. But yeah, you've just got kind of everybody at the top line, at least, in this big sort of melting pot of shades of grey. But Brett certainly... If there's anything, he's gone the furthest. So he was mm. furthest on one side and kind of his progress towards the other side of the line makes his change more distinguishable. Yeah. Mm. Sean, to some people, was always a bit of a dislikable prick. So when people started booing him, that wasn't necessarily yeah. out of the blue. Austin, okay, he was big bad guy, but yeah, yeah, so maybe that's it. And maybe that's why Brett and Austin just kind of work so well as a feud. And obviously what we'll see at WrestleMania is what we'll see at WrestleMania. But their kind of contrasts and journeys from either end of the spectrum to when they meet and cross over is, yeah, is, is just really fantastic stuff. And if if it's influenced by Hogan at all, it's it's maybe just in terms of adding more depth to characters that have maybe mm. only stayed one way for so long. Yeah, it, you know, it can work. Thoughts on this show and these shows overall? This show is definitely better. Like like you say, it has perhaps a better paced feel to it. It's a little less distracted and more focused on what it should be doing. And, and maybe the fact that WrestleMania is your next show or your next big show, you, you're going to be anyway. But has it done its job in terms of 
getting you signed to see WrestleMania 13. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, can't wait to see that now. Really good. Yeah, I think it was good. I think the second show was definitely a lot better than the first one. Less ADHD than the first one was and more easy to follow the storylines and actually watch some wrestling rather than just having it all kind of cobbled together. Uh, yeah, I think they've done a really good job of, of building up. Well, they've done a better job of building up Austin Brett than they have of doing Undertaker Sid, which is a bit of a shame that they couldn't have given equal weight into it, but maybe you just can't give equal weight into things like that. But yeah, there's certainly an, an awful lot of interest. I can't wait to see the Sultan versus Rocky Maivia. How do you think these Raws then, or this rebranding of Monday Night Raw as Raw is War, feels different then to the other Raws we've seen previously? It feels like Nitro. That's that, that, that's they're, they're emulating another product, and they're not doing it great, but they're still, you know, there's been no, there's not like they took three months off to get things right and then and then start their rebranding. It's week to week, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's just started suddenly. So they're kind of they're working out what they're doing with the new rebranding along the way. It's not going to start off perfect, and I would like to think that actually give it a couple of months down the line, and maybe Raw is a bit better than what we've seen here. I think there was even enough in the first show, to be honest, though, to make me want to tune into the next one. So I quite like the segment with Ken Shamrock, and then you had the ECW guy stuff, the mm. debate Heyman against Lawler. You had the main event from the first show. There was certainly that second hour of the March 10th show would get me to watch the next show. I, I certainly think it was good enough for that. And like I say, the second show, March 17th, made me want to watch WrestleMania. Yeah. So I think it's good enough in that respect. As I certainly think there's a lot of refining to do. I wouldn't say that first show was any better than the old one-hour shows because I used to quite enjoy the one-hour shows. Like you say, the, the kind of poor bits that you'd sometimes get wouldn't last particularly long, so it was never an issue. They then kind of it felt already by the second show that they've kind of not got rid of the job matches, but they've got a better balance. You know, you can have a job a match perhaps on a show, but not yeah. three or four. So you sort of answered my next question a little bit already, but can you see a conscious attempt to be more like Nitro, or would you say it's more comparable to what you've seen of ECW? More like Nitro. I think the very the, the look of the arena. The format of it, the the very obvious second hour thing, the increase in pyro, the opening video that's full of fire and explosions. Yes, it is very nitro. Yeah, it's quite nitro. I was going to say, like the the shamrock thing's interesting. I think that's really smart. Is that they've had this in the previously? Obviously, we saw very bloated shows of celebrities, but they've had this kind of thing about bringing celebrities in and even having celebrities in matches. But Shamrock's a different feel, so he's a fighting celebrity. Yeah, that they're going to bring in. He makes sense. That's really smart. They can do a lot with his character because he comes in as a built-up fighting character. Mm. It's it's a very clever move for them to make. It's it's a I think a decent show. I think for me, the biggest difference is still. You look at the like Stuart's original point for for the first part of the show, which was lost about the depth of wrestling talent, and you look at the depth of wrestling talent that WCW's got, and it's just so strong. And you've got all of those matches on Nitros that you see, and there's some cracking match on there, and it's not quite there yet. On well, the, I mean, the WCW WWF. have got enough talent roster to basically fill out two or three shows, haven't they? With with amazing matches and not be duplicating things. WWF at this point just don't, and it's nice that they're making a move to. Like I say, it's nice that they're bringing Shamrock in. It's nice that they've added someone like I mean, 
obviously, I, I'm not a massive fan of her work eventually, but it's nice that they've added an extra dimension like China into the mix, yeah. which is made is something different. Mm. You need different things happening to keep the interest going with it. They still need more people, though. I'll be honest, I also, I prefer, as the big storylines, I prefer WWF's bigger storylines. Yeah, it feels like there's, well, there's less Hulk Hogan in them. Mm. Maybe that's it. I, I think for me, like, the, the jobber matches are, are the real sort of warning sign, the big the big red flag in that that's a real step backwards, like Raw used to be filled with jobber matches. Yeah. And we got, like I say, we got away from that in sort of 95, 96, where... We had our Freddie Joe Floyds and our T.L. Hoppers, but we at least recognised them as semi-stars because we'd seen them on the weekend shows. But to go back to having Mike Bell and Aaron Ferguson and Roy Rua and whoever on the show, yeah, that's sort of a big warning signal that actually you you aren't prepared to do this. They're they're not ready. Yeah. And they'd they'd fixed it. They'd fixed the problem for a one-hour show. Yeah. And and that was good, and it made Raw better. And those those one-hour Raws... Were, would would they good towards the end? I think they're really, really quite enjoyable. Well, this, but but they they now they like I say they've doubled the time and if, they can't fill it. Well, I don't quite think it's. I don't know. It's a different thing, isn't it? They have the physical number of people to do it because you've got your, your they could have put like a furnace or Lafon in one of those matches, but obviously you don't want to make them look weak. It's having they haven't got enough people of the right stature. And WCW's matches tend to be a bit more competitive, aren't they? In terms yeah. of who's winning, whereas it's a little bit more distinct in WWF. And this is where WCW had the advantage in that you look at someone, say, for example, high voltage, you know, we've seen them on nitros as as basically fodder for guys like the Steiner brothers and stuff. But if you watch the WCW weekend shows, the pros, the worldwides, the Saturday nights, those guys will be picking up wins on those shows Mm. so that when they appear on nitro, they at least have some stock that, Okay, the, the Steiner brothers are probably still going to win, but it's a recognisable name. You've seen them get some wins over some sort of B and C level guys, but yeah, so, when they go up to the A show, they're going to lose. But there's competition. But it's better than having these unnamed, slovenly looking men in mm. unitards getting beaten. There, and, yeah, the, the, the outcome, the, like I say, the, the match is inconsequential. We already know who's going to win it. Yeah. So there's no real interest in the match. So I guess that's why the matches don't last more than about 90 seconds. And, and and then you sort of go to the stuff with the midgets and the Mexican wrestlers and the ECW stuff. What you get on Raw in 1997 is a real feeling of throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. And, and that will stay throughout the entire year as they kind of muddle their way through finding out what the format of the show is going to be and what kind of talent they want to use. And we get stuff like the light heavyweight tournament and we get the Michinoku Pro guys showing up. Hang on, a light heavyweight tournament? light heavyweight tournament. Is is that not coming back? Yeah, I mean, but but that's more to do with, like, Triple H yeah. producing content for the network. But this is in a sense when they didn't even have enough of a roster to fill kind of two-hour shows. And you'll see lots of random people showing up on Raw. In the same way that sometimes you see some random people showing up on Nitro every now and again. Oh, look, it's Greg Valentine kind of thing. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's definitely... An attempt to do something different is the very least you can say for this. And despite the changes, Raw would still lose out both weeks to Nitro. On March 10th, Raw drew a 2.5 to Nitro's 3.5. And on March 17th, Raw got a 2.4 compared to Nitro's 3.6. That pattern is not going to alter for some time. But at the very least, alterations have been made to what had become a 
a pretty stale raw product in places. Yeah. Yeah, and really what they needed to change in order to remain competitive, and at least they're trying to change. And they, they might be sort of aping what is beating them, but they are trying to do things, because you never get anywhere if you just stand still. I guess if you're getting beaten in ratings by a competitor and you just stay doing the same stuff, you're actually you, going backwards. You're definitely going to lose. So, yeah, it's, it's a ballsy manoeuvre to do things differently. Match of the night at MVP, then? Or match of the nights? Mm. Well, I will go for Vader versus the British Bulldog as my match of the night because I thought that was genuinely really quite impressive. Shame about the finish, but I really enjoyed that. And there was quite a few moments in that that I thought, wow, that's amazing. Uh, well, that could have really gone somewhere as well. Yeah. Do, do they actually have a, a feud at all after what? their WrestleMania match? No. That is a real shame. Genuine shame. I, I mean, that I'd probably have to pick as my match of the night. But I'll, I will give a special mention to that minis match because there were some really good spots in that. Following on from that, I know you'll probably disagree with me, but I'll put my MVP down as Bulldog for doing a stalling vertical suplex on Vader. Yeah, it's a really difficult one to pick. Probably not Billy Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? It's really difficult because I think there's a few guys that do a good job. So, yeah, Stone Cold, I think. Sid does a reasonable job. He's not stellar, but he's not left inside down. Take as dependable as ever. Vader's good. Bulldog's good. Brett probably is the most interesting. I don't know if his performance is better, but it's probably the most attention-grabbing. Yourself? Is that who you're going with, then? Yeah. So match of the night, yeah, it's tough to choose as there was not a lot going on match-wise as it was really all about the segments, which is obviously what Raw will come to be and this is the first inklings of that. I quite enjoyed the midgets. Yeah. I thought that was really good. good. But yeah, Vader versus Bulldog was probably the strongest effort despite the finish and again, that's something that Raw becomes all about in general is is the non-finishes. So... Once you're used to it, you, I, could, I guess you're kind of okay with it, but it was kind of disappointing to see nothing really of any consequence go to a clean finish outside of the squash matches. MVP, if it was both shows up until the last 10 minutes, it would be Steve Austin for being just incredible on promos every time he appeared. But you add the last five minutes on, and for me, Bret Hart does it because that last promo that he cuts, he does a decent one on the first one with Shamrock, but... You know the vitriol in that in that last promo wins it for me. Uh, makes him MVP of these two shows. Uh, also, can I put in another special mention? A bit yeah. late. Paul Heyman. Yeah, also did a cracking job. Mullet of the night. Well, the guy that put up the cage had a good one, but it's going to go to Road Warrior Animal for his what I would dub a mo mullet. A what? Like a mohawked mullet. Because it, it's bizarre. It's almost like it's a, it's a mohawk, but it goes longer at the back, but it also gets wider at the back as well. It's bizarre. A bit like a shovel. On that bombshell, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash newgenerationprojectpodcast. We are also on Twitter. At the two hours long. New Gen Podcast. You can, as ever, rate, review and subscribe for all of our episodes as soon as they are available on iTunes. If iTunes isn't your thing, you can check out new episodes on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash newgenpodcast, on Stitcher Radio or on piledriverwrestling.net. Or if you've just found us and want to catch up, our back catalogue is going up one by one by one on botchamania.com. Calling Spots issue 20 is now available over at callingspots.com. This issue features a cover article on Lucha Underground that I've written, and as ever, the artwork for it is bloody awesome. 
Also inside are articles on Adam's favourite Eva Marie, El Santo and Will Ospreay. That's all available for $1.99 plus postage. Subscriptions are also available. Episode 58 will see us don our tuxedos as we head to the most prestigious awards ceremony of the year. It's the 1997 Slammy Awards. Oh, excellent. You found a version of that then? I, I did have someone very kindly send us a version of that. Splendid. As, as it was quite difficult to find complete on, you know, YouTube and Daily Motion. It's but a real shame that they don't have the Slammy Award ceremonies on the network. There are some. Are there? You've got obviously oh. all the modern ones, and then you've got, I think, the 87 one and the 94 one, which is just an episode of WWF Mania with some clips in it. Right. But, yeah, for some reason the 96 and the 97 aren't on there. But the last last year's show was a cracker, so... It was good. Tom Ooh. Pettingill put in a very good show last year, didn't he? He did, he did. We'll have to see if he presents it again this year. And plus, Miss Slammy, which I'm sure you're looking forward to. No, yes. I'm sure there'll be no grain inspectors on that one. <laughs> but they do like cooking bratwurst. And French fries. Mm. My name is Stuart Brooks. I shall say goodnight. Bad watch, goodbye. I'm at Yes Paul Scrivens, goodbye. You've got your goodbyes relatively normal these days. Yeah, toned it down a bit. 